Yo, what's up, guys and gals? Tonight's Gravity Lab Radio is brought to you by Cookie Helmets. Cookie has been a huge supporter of the Gravity Lab Radio crew. In particular, they've actually supported our film festival the last couple years with uh, 30% off Cookie Helmets as one of the prizes. This year, I have not spoke to Cookie yet about prizes for the film festival. I've been waiting for the launch of the new and improved G4, the dopest, coolest helmet on the market right now, and it is live. So soon, I should be talking to and asking them about a G4 discount or coupon for the film festival. Speaking, though, of that G4, Mr. P and I just received our new G4s. I got them yesterday in the mail. He got his picked up today from me when I saw him. And my God, it is a comfortable, quiet, sweet helmet. The things I love about my G3, but stepped up super big in a G4. The back of the helmet has a little bit more head protection, so it protects the back of your head. Makes it a little bit snugger to put on, so you might have to change how you put your helmet on, but super comfortable and super easy, super protective. It actually has an impact protection rating uh, and snag resistance rating for different skydiving federations and truly has that protective foam inside. If you were to break down your helmet, that nice, thick, dense black foam you see inside of a protective helmet, that's what's inside of your new skydiving helmet. You've still got that super easy to open visor, but the spring mechanisms are much better. They're not going to wear out over time, or we least suspect they won't wear out over time. There's no maintenance on that visor mechanism because of that, and it's going to seal a lot better. The visor actually retracts into the opening, so there's no lip, there, there's no edge. If you rub the top of your G3, you, you'll hit the visor we're on the G4. It's a fully sealed visor. Makes it a lot cleaner. No air gets in, but it still has a better ventilation system that's actually adjustable to adjust for cooling, for fog. The visor you can pull out. You can completely wash this visor. A stinky helmet is not something you want in your head. Jason Cook and the folks at Cookie Helmets have stepped it up. They've made it dope. The lead time right now for these helmets are eight weeks. They are uh, starting to ship at the end of this month. We just got lucky to get ours just a little bit earlier than everybody else. Check sizing because they have changed a little bit for the G4, but hit up your favorite dealer. Go to flycookie.com. Check out the new and improved G4, impact protected. It is cleaner. It is smoother. The opening is better. It is just an altogether better helmet. Check them out on social media. Check them out on Instagram, on Facebook, or flycookie.com. And thanks to the guys at Cookie for always supporting us. Tonight's Gravity Lab Radio is also brought to you by Option Studios. You can find Option Studios on the interwebs at pullupcords.com. You're bored, you're at work, go to pullupcords.com and just look at some of the products and projects they've worked on. They've done some really cool stuff for people like the GoPro Bomb Squad, for Apex Base, for the Heli Boogie. They've done stuff for Red Bull Aces, Bonehead Helmets, Cookie Helmets, uh, you name it, they've worked on it. And Option Studios is a, uh, is a design company that's really been the culmination of 30 years of graphic design, advertising, branding, uh, identity promotion experience. Whether it's a large business or a small business, they've done a bit of it all. Option Studios are rooted in action sports. The, the founder and the principal director, Adam Buckner, you've heard us talk a lot about Adam, is really an avid skydiver himself. He's a former instructor, sky surfer, videographer. He's done a little bit of it all, and he brings a passion of graphic design to the table. 
You can find Option Studios on the web. Check out pullupchords.com. You can find them on social media uh, on Option Studios. Give them a holler. Give them a call. You know you want that fresh new jersey. You need some wind blades. You need some uh, banners. Man, t-shirts. I recently had a super dope t-shirt idea for a buddy from concept to in my hands. 15 days, man. He designed the shirt. He got me to proof the shirt. He had the screens made, printed, and in my hands in less than 15 days, 14 days to be exact. So give him a holler, give him a call, check out Option Studios, mention Gravity Lab Radio. Maybe, just maybe, he'll give you a little sneak surprise while you do that. Guys and gals, tonight's show, our guest is a good friend of mine, Ori Cooper. Ori is an Israeli skydiver, has lived in America uh, on and off for quite a while. He is back in Israel, but visiting the U.S. for a little while. We'll hear a little bit more about him. I hope you enjoy the show. I'm the target of a meat missile going 150 miles an hour plus. That got really exciting all of a sudden. I'm doing canopy safety. Um, I drive like an Asian, so I don't know if it's the most appropriate thing ever. I'm killing it. Utah! Give me two. You are listening to Gravity Lab Radio, hosted by DJ Marvin and Nicholas Lott. Produced by Justin Grubbs. Have we talked about skydiving the whole time? Gentlemen. Mr. Ori Cooper, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm going to age myself a little bit, but I, I've been excited about tonight just so I can say hang in with Mr. Cooper. That's right. Is anybody, Justin, have you got me there? Oh, yeah. yeah okay, sweet. Sweet. So, yeah, uh, some of our group is a little bit younger. Nick, you remember that show? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, barely. <laughs> barely. Just because... Yeah, go ahead. What? What's funny? Nothing. Everything's cool. <laughs> okay. yeah, just... Do you know the, the song Golly Jeepers? Golly jeepers. Where'd you get, get those, those peepers? peepers? Okay. So I, in my head, this is getting really weird really fast. I sing Ori Cooper, Where'd You Get That Pooper? Hey! Oh, speaking oh, of. Oh, that's, oh, my, that's the song I associate perfect, with this Perfect show. subject. We know what's days. on your head. Yep, oh, really? That's, that's kind of weird because uh, Ori is here tonight, our, our Israeli friend, uh, originally from Israel. Correct. Uh, you've been skydiving for quite a while. Um, one of the things that we may or may not get into tonight, but since you brought it up, you've actually recently fought cancer. Correct. He brought it up. He brought it up. <laughs> I um, brought it down. He, he brought it down. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. And so, uh, what kind of cancer was it? It was colorectal cancer. Colorectal cancer. See, get right. where you got that pooper from. That's right. That's what I said. <laughs> well, I perfect timing. There was perfect something subject. up with your pooper. Just... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the inspiration. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> you are welcome. Oh my God! To our friends who are just listening to the show, <laughs> if they haven't left, they figure yet. it out later if they on. Yeah, if they haven't left. Those watching on Facebook will appreciate it. So, Ori, uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit probably about that later on. Um, you came to America first in what year? Uh, my first trip to the U.S. was in 2006, December 2006, as a skydiver. And you uh, had how many jumps back then? Wow, nothing. Um, probably a few hundreds. A few hundred? That's yeah. yeah uh, not tons. No. You were new to a lot of the working sport of skydiving. Correct. You actually worked at a, another drop zone at some point. A good buddy of ours, Dennis Anderson, uh, went to fly uh, a 182. What, what no, he actually he flew the caravan, caravan the only day that we were wor- the only day, day and a half that we were working there. Um, he flew the caravan. The old caravan, the first uh-huh. caravan that's based on head, um, and um, yeah, so he was flying. Dennis Anderson was flying the caravan Saturday and Sunday, or half of Sunday, and then about uh, five days later, um, 
I got the 172 sent to me from Spaceland to pick me up from the drop zone and to bring me to Spaceland. That was uh, June 2007. That was already my, my second trip to the U.S. Yeah, I remember Dennis coming back from Temple and saying, hey, man, I met this really cool Israeli guy. He uh, would be perfect fit for us for staff, and he needs a little bit more work. He probably will work out well here. And Steve's like, take the 172, go pick him up. And uh, since then, it's kind of been done. It's been over. You were here for quite a long time. Yeah, the rest was pretty much history after that point. I, uh, you know, I flew. I, I, I came Keep that mic in front of your Sorry, face. Sorry, I, yeah. I came to the U.S. on that, on that trip. Um, at the time, I was coming from a drop zone with two airplanes in it. We had a caravan and a grand caravan in Israel, in the drop zone that they used to work in, in Israel. Um, and so I flew, you know, all the way to the States in, in order to develop my skills and my field of my, this very, very little niche of skydiving camera flying. Um, and I got here to Texas to a different drop zone as I did not have any airplanes whatsoever. Um, so when Dennis got there and flew for us for two days, it was great. And then uh, again, when I was when I was coming to drop to, to Spaceland, when I was sent at 172 to come pick me up from there, I remember landing in Spaceland and seeing the big hangar and seeing all the little old pity flags. Yeah, old. The old pity. <laughs> the, the, the old orange, very shiny orange pity flags. And I and it felt like, okay, that's that's going to be way better. And it has been. That, that, that was June 2007. What was it like when you showed up? It was like the runway was all good. Yes, it, it I had think been paved, the right? well, it was it was the um, the asphalt was there. I believe that the concrete at the ends was not. No, it, yeah, it was. It was already okay. Yeah, that all kind of came together. Okay, um, so in maybe it was. Yeah, uh, but yeah, all of that was paved. Hangar two was there. No, hangar two was not there. The old bunkhouse was there, which used to be which used to be the old uh, sh- uh, tool shed of the drop zone. Isn't at that some point. now Stephen's shed? Is that yes, right? yes, yeah, yeah. That's the one that is now in Stevie's uh, backyard, yes, or front yard or side yard there. Uh, yep, that used to be the uh, old bunkhouse of the drop zone. It, there were no bathrooms in the bunkhouse. There was no mm, washing machine. All the stuff that is today in the bunkhouse, which makes it a really nice bunkhouse. Um, they were not there. We had uh, a door, a carpet, um, f- eight bunks, so four double bunks. And an AC. There were no windows because it was a tool shed. Well, I mean, don't the holes next to the AC in the wall count as windows? Nope. (laughs) But you could kind of say if it was day or night by those holes by the AC. Yes. Other than that, you couldn't. I just to so, so you can it, pick is that four four star or five star technically five star okay. for me at the yeah. time I mean <laughs> it was I'll do it and that's yeah. what I did to give some people a picture when he says there were eight bunks you had two end to end you had head to foot on either side and the bunk room was just wide enough to have a walkway between the two it's Correct. literally an old work shed yeah that's what it was and they drywalled the inside put some insulation put a wall unit in the other end and you lived in that bunk room for how long. 15 months, out of which 14 <laughs> were with no car out in Rocheron, Texas. And, uh, yeah. So, I guess it was five stars at the time because I didn't see it as, a, as an issue. And, you know, that, you know, looking back to these days, I don't know how I did it, but I did. And I think the, because the goal was to be here and jump here and learn here and, you know, do all that stuff. So, yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll stay in that shed, apparently. And, yeah, 15 months out of which 14 with no car in Rocheron. 
Man, I actually remember one of my favorite stories about you is Hurricane Ike. Ike. 2008 was coming through. And for Hurricane Ike, we took all of the RVs on the drop zone. We pulled them into the hangar. I had a fifth wheel, so I had the only truck on the drop zone able to pull fifth wheels. So I, I came to the drop zone and pulled mine and every fifth wheel into the hangar. I got done, and I walked up to Ori and said, Yo, bro, I want you to come stay with me at my house. No, 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 I need to stay here. No, Ori, I really want you to come stay with me at my house. I could use your company. No, I want to be here for the drop zone. He was super fucking committed to the, to the process, to the people. He was like, Man, I'm here for everybody. I'm like, Ori, look. My wife works for the city. She's in the emergency operations center, so she's in a bulletproof bunker. I'm home alone in a hurricane. I need you to be there in case shit goes wrong. I need a buddy. He's like, okay, you've talked me into it. We get in my car, and we weren't two minutes down the road. He goes, thank you for asking me. I did not want to stay in the hangar during a hurricane. <laughs> but, hey, hey, I, left in, I left all my stuff in that bunk house, and, and I didn't know from like, what I'm coming back to, if at all. Like No one could tell if those winds. And that was my pre-second hurricane ever <laughs> uh, so it, i really did not know what to expect um so yeah it was good times at uh, your old place then yeah i it really i already knew you were a good guy i already thought well of you one of the reasons i said let me invite this guy to stay at my house with me but that day really showed me your commitment to the people you're around it showed me who you really were when you were so insistent on staying in a place that you did not want to be to help everybody else I mean, that was, that was a lot of respect that you got from me that day on that car ride. Um, I want to change the topic just for one second because we asked how long the shenanigans are going to go on. And really, <laughs> yeah, a gal I was named about Tara, to notice that beautiful headwear that you're wearing. It's nice. Yeah. You remember Tara Weber? You know that name? Uh, yeah, I absolutely remember that name. Tara Weber is probably our biggest fan on LB Live, the show that Nick and I do uh, for Larson, Bruce, Larson and Bruce Guard. And uh, she started watching Gravity Lab Radio as well, started listening to us. And she actually asks... Can you hear? Can you guys even hear with your helmets on? You know, I and there's a picture the headphones. of Butters with the superhero costume on and the uh, I moved the headphones foil hat f- forward enough. I can actually hear a little. Oh, bit. yeah, you can. It's not bad, right? I laughed at you when I saw you do that, but it works. <laughs> it works, huh? <laughs> yeah, it works. So, um, huge shout out to Jason Cook and the boys at Cookie Helmets. Uh, Cookie has supported the show over the last couple years for the film festival. They've given a discount of helmets as part of the prizes. I've not hit up Cookie yet for the prize for the film festival this year because I was waiting for these really cool G4s to come out. Uh, come out. And Nick, what's that you got on your head, bro? This is a very beautiful brand new... Uh, what, what color do they call this? Olive green? I don't remember. Well, it's a beautiful dark <laughs> olive green... Uh, G4 that's beautiful and comfortable and wonderful, and I jumped it today, and I'm very happy. And if you know me, black and red are my colors, and so, of course, what I have on is a royal blue, <laughs> which, uh, Nick, thanks for the pressure. It was I, yeah, it's my color. It's okay. Oh, you, you just give it to Ori, then. I mean, no. No, I just shit talked to you enough. I think that you finally caved to try something new. Yeah, I was too lazy to pick colors. It's just so fucking easy to it go with what you know. Tactical green, by the way. Tactical, tactical green. Thank there you. you. So we've got these new G4s. I am going to take mine off for now because I do like hearing Ori better through these headphones. Close my visor. <laughs> Does it matter this way? Can you put the <laughs> no, bag back on your way. head? So y'all keep talking. <laughs> <about>. <laughs> okay. Your your face is just really disgusting me well, right now. That's what I got. That's the hand I was dealt. I'm sorry. Thank you for that. Me, thank you. Can't hear you at right all. <laughs> so I took my helmet off. If you're watching the show, one thing you'll notice is they are 
a little trickier to put on and off. Um, but that's kind of a good thing. And I say it's kind of a good thing. The uh, helmet is cut way effing lower, man. So the back of the helmet, if you're watching this on Facebook, you can see <laughs> the back of the helmet used to come down to where really the G4 label is now. And now it's another solid inch, inch and a half of, of back of your head protection, which makes Title it... Title of your sex tape. <laughs> yeah. Which makes it a lot uh, uh, more protective, but it's a little bit harder to put on and off, but you'll find those tricks over time. Um, dude, love and mine. Did not get a chance to just jump mine today, but uh, man, they're super, super comfy. Nick, how are you enjoying it? How's that yeah, jump? Yeah, it is really comfortable. It, it doesn't move on my head at all. Uh, my G3 has a pretty like decent-sized gaps on, on the sides, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it's the shape of the helmet or the shape of the liner, but man, it's uh, very snug. It doesn't move. It was weird. I put my G2, which is the same shape as a G3 and G4 side-by-side side today, and you could see the distinct shape difference. Where I have the same problem, there's a big gap on mine, although my head fits fairly well. This just hugs my helmet, my head better. And the ear cups, like literally, literally their ear cups, um, the foam is pressed all around your ear. And there's a pocket in where your ear goes or your audible. And the G3, uh, man, somebody came up to me this weekend and said, yo, my Optima is broken. Like, what's up? It beeps nonstop or, or, or sporadically in the plane and on the ride to altitude. I'm like... Let me see your device, and I start pushing buttons, and there's nothing wrong with it. Hey, go ahead and put it in your helmet. And she puts mm-hmm. it in her helmet, and she's putting it not in the pocket. She's just putting it in the helmet where it's pushing foam, and, and it's her head pushing the device against her <laughs> helmet. <clears throat> so, And, and really, I, honestly, the G3 is tricky to understand the audible pocket. I commonly am showing people better ways to put it in. Man, the G4, super super obvious how the audibles go in. They fit super well. Uh, They're snug. Yeah, my Um, ProTrack 2 fits in this. Easy. Yeah, far far easier than the G3 for sure. Yeah, that's the first thing I noticed is is I could easily put my G my Pro Track twos in there where the the G3 was tricky. I, I feel like it's a little more comfortable on like the front of my neck. Like yes. uh, my G3 kind of pushes into my throat a little bit. Mm-hmm. Chokes me just a little bit harder than I like. <laughs> Title of your sex tape. <laughs> Thank you. Um, now, I actually over tightened my collar on my chin, and I still didn't get it choked out like I could on my G three. My uh, my advice for people that are going to uh, look into getting a G four. Most people have downsized, so I, I wore a medium G three. Okay. This is a small G four that fits about the same as as the medium, and it seemed like everyone that I talked to today. Who got these helmets? Sorry, <laughs> sorry, yeah. I can't hear me. It's so weird. <laughs> Everyone I talked to that that uh, got these helmets had a, s- a similar experience. That uh, they they all fit great. The people that had, had downsized. So Pedro actually kept the same size and his fits great. I kept the same size and mine fits great. Oh really? So um, most of my friends have told me they've downsized one size, but about twenty five percent of my friends have said they've kept the same size and it fits good that way. Well, try your friends G four on. Yeah, definitely try them on. Give them a check out. Uh, the Rating Center team, man, they we're very blessed. They, we all got picked up by uh, Cookie. Cookie has supported me for a long time. They've picked up the rest of the team. So find any of the Rating Center team members at Spaceland uh, Houston. Eventually, Dan McLaurin in Dallas will have his. I have it right now. He just needs to come get it from me. Um, and ask us. We'll show them to you. That They wear pretty good. Um I forget the price point on them. But they gave us fact sheets. Did I you read that? I want to say it was $4.29. I, I read the first half of it. Yeah, yeah. $4.39. $4.39. Oh, Thank you, close. Mr. G. Um, <laughs> also, they got these really super dope helmet bags. Your helmet and jumpsuit can fit in this bag. Uh, check them out. They're 60 bucks for this bag, dude. So um, I'm a huge fan of it. I don't travel much, but when I do, all my swag will fit in there, so we'll be good to go. 
So uh, just a huge shout out to Jason Cook and, and the folks at Cookie, man. They've really been a huge supporter uh, of myself and the show over the years. But I really appreciate you guys picking up the rest of the team and helping us out the way you have. Yeah, so. Huge, huge thanks. Yeah. I wonder if the color narc blue is a typo or if that is the actual name of the color. Because <laughs> there's narc blue, is royal it like blue. Is like a police officer color, blue. like blue, like a dark know. navy blue? It's so dark it, navy. It is yeah, dark blue. Narc, narc okay. blue, yeah. So it's really, it is dark, dark blue. It's narc. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Cola, get on it. You need to fix that stuff. Narc blue. Oh, now I can put my glasses. Oh, my, I can see. That's so awesome. So back to hanging with Mr. Cooper. Man, what is Val cooking? Do you smell that? I know what the rock oh, is cooking, but good. I don't know what Val is cooking. That's right. Man, it's whatever it is, it smells damn good, woman. Um, so, Ori, you, sex tape. you used to... <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to turn it into yes. a drinking game or something. Yeah. Uh, Ori, you first, uh, you first moved to America. You were living in a bunkhouse. That's where we kind of got you from. Mm-hmm. And when you first moved here, you came to us as a videographer. And really, I don't think Correct. that's... You, actually, you eventually got your AFF rating. I did. Didn't I use it, it much. Then never used it, actually. Did you do any <coughs> AFFs ever? No. Just went through the process. Correct. And got the license. So or got the rating. A lot of people will never get the rating. Some will get the rating and never use it. Was that your intent to get it and not use it, or did you get no. it and change your mind? I got it, and at the time, it felt like using it could be um, an open for corners. As far as my uh, process at the time, being here in the U.S. and working here. And um, so I ended up never using it. And after that, at that point, after a few months, I just felt like I didn't want to use it. And I didn't have the desire to use it anymore. What made you not want to use it? What were you? What stopped you? Um, it just felt like if something was to happen on, a, on an AFF jump or an STP at the time, STP jump, mm-hmm. um, with me being the instructor, being at the time between statuses, um, between immigration statuses here in the U.S., it could have been an issue if if something was to happen. Uh, so I just did not want to risk it, and I did not want Spaceland to risk it. So I just ended up never using it, and and I think I yeah, and, and and then I think I. I believe that the more I saw what's what's going on, and the more. I got to see and experience a big school like Spaceland from an outsider point of view because I wasn't a, a, I wasn't an active AFF instructor. Um, just made me made me think about it again, and, and I thought, okay, you know what, I I I, I, I that desire is is gone by now, and I enjoy what I do in skydiving as at the time as a camera flyer and a coach, um, and that was great for me, and I, that was good for me enough that I, I didn't. I, I did not have the desire anymore to do AFF. Um, That's fair. I mean, I, I have that same same scenario happens once a year for me of like, ah, yeah, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going <laughs> to do my AFF rating. And then I, a month goes by or less. God, it's usually within a few days that someone will talk about this crazy student they had or I'll exactly. see a video of a student hanging on to their pilot chute and someone having to figure out what's going to happen in that situation. It's yeah, like, and that's no, man, I'm going to just shoot video. Yep, that's <laughs> good. That's fun. There's a lot of um, well, there's a lot of responsibility, and I I think the unknown is bigger than the known when you're starting with it. Yes, the more I believe, the more you jump as an as an instructor, you see and you experience more and more things, and you you learn how to naturally react to different situations. But when you're just beginning with that, and you have no idea what's going to happen with the person you're jumping with in the air, 
it's a little more scary to even start with it. And of course, you know, it, I do remember that at the beginning, I mean, I think all the new AFF uh, instructors that I've seen getting their AFF licenses in, in, in Spaceland and then getting students, normally the idea would, would be to give them on purpose the, the, the easier students. But even with an easier student, you can never really know what you're getting, I think. And One of the craziest things I've ever seen is with one of my best students. Okay, you, so you, yeah, you let your guard okay. down. He's doing really good. He crushes everything, and then at pull time, he gets out of control, and you're like, Fuck. "Right, that's so, the worst time to lose it." Correct. So that was. It is it. definitely one of the more stressful jobs in skydiving. It is also because it's one of the most stressful jobs, one of the most rewarding jobs. Yep. And I'm a huge advocate of it's not for everybody, and that's okay, yeah, man. Exactly. It, it's not for everybody. Uh, to each their own, and and I never. Uh, Steve Boyd, when I first showed up, told me, hey, and it wasn't you. I'm just, I'm just using you for mm-hmm. the, the, pro- the example. Hey, talk Orion to get in his tandem rating. And I'm like, no, I'll never do that. He's like, why not? Because if you talk somebody into a rating they don't want, they're going to get disgruntled, they're going to become unhappy, and they're going to quit skydiving altogether. So I'd rather have Ori or Nick and their limited capability or their limited uh, skill set than to not have them at all. Correct. And Who are you saying has got a limited skill set? Yeah, I'm, I was trying not to. I'm I've a seen, backhanded compliment. I've mm. seen your Photoshop skills and your editing skills. You suck. Mm. <laughs> I made you look good once. <laughs> uh, d- did you like it's black hard, out the screen on that point? <laughs> oh, for Photoshop? Yeah. yeah just I, just put, I put your face on someone else's body and it started to look okay. And then I put someone else's face on top of your face. <laughs> and it looked perfect. perfect. <laughs> See, that's how you make me look good, <laughs> yo. <laughs> So it's. I really hope people understand and don't push your friends into ratings they don't want. If you have no. to talk somebody into something, you probably shouldn't do it. Um, it's 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 just not the right thing, man. It really isn't. Don't don't force somebody to do something they don't want to do. Right. How how big was your first camera helmet setup, Ori? It wasn't too big at all. No, what cameras were you flying? I was flying. Well, the first first was yeah. Start at the beginning. Mm, so the first camera helmet that I had at the time was a, I don't even remember what it's called, bonehead something, not the flat tops. The optic. Um, the optic, yes. Yeah, I, I think that's what it was. You yeah, an optic. Yeah. Yeah. And what, what did that look, did you have a side mm. mount? It was a side mount, the, so the side was Is only this the one side. Right here? Look behind you. Is it that one on the right hand side? This tiny um, screen on the right, on that monitor? Yes, that's the one. Yeah, that's the one, and, and here you already see it in Spaceland, so it already had the digital on it, and it, it and and it probably also had a PC one hundred one or a PC a one hundred nine in it. Mm-hmm. Was that like remember, the tall, like m- the more vertical one? Yes, that's the vertical mini DV ones. Basically, uh, anything PC <coughs> was vertical. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I remember my PC one thousand very well. Three, that was a nice one. Wasn't that a three that chip? Step up. Yeah, that was yeah, the first yeah. one that had three CCDs. All of a sudden, yeah. it was like, oh my god, super crisp. And Colors then, were sharp as fuck. And then HD came up, and yeah, yeah, that was, was trash. Um, so yeah, it was an optic. The first camera helmet was an optic. Um, Do you know what the stills camera you had was? Well, were you, you know what? Di- digital or actual photos? The optic could have been the second one because I think I, be, I I think I jumped my. Um, I had a regular. Bonehead, um, again, I don't remember the name of the regular ones, and I had a, um, I had a setup just on the side of it with a metal, super like, sewn together metal box thing. Yeah, yeah. On the left, um, I did not have it here ever, 
because I crashed with that setup in New Zealand, and the whole thing just went kaput. We can probably find it somewhere. Um, like a bonehead mind warp or whatever the open yes mind warp was. yeah that's that's the, that was the one and then this, the next one I mean the, the one that I was really jumping for a long 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 time was the bonehead optic with a it was only the side that was just a, a square uh, flat on the side so that was a side mount of that and there was no and the um the box was like a, a shell so it was like half of the box was on the helmet and the other half was just you would put it in and, and and put this, a strap. this is for the side mount video. Correct. That's for the side mount video. The first uh, cameras that I jumped were uh, Canon G's, G's, G300, I think, because that, that's a film camera. Um, that was I was jumping with um, in Paradive in Israel at the beginning. Um, there we did um, either video or video and stills. There was no, there was no, the video packages, the video plus stills automatically was not something that we did every time we we just put the steels on if the customers were getting the steels mm-hmm. um and after those g300 the film ones i switched my first uh digital canon was a what was it um it was an x it was an xt i believe wow those were yeah, a lot of like yeah. six or eight megapixels stuff yeah, like the screen is like the t2i t3i oh that's way after those are way after um, <laughs> at, at, at the beginning, because at the beginnings that they came with, um, they came up with Canon. I think it was Canon X, and then they did the X, the Rebel X, Rebel X, sorry, yeah, yeah, Canon right. Rebel X. Yeah. Um, and I, I bought this, the like the next one up on the when I bought my digital one. I think it was the XT already. Been on that for a while until it, you know, at some point they just stopped working, and then you have to get something else. And my my next one was an XS. XSI, XSI, right? There was something like that. Yes. XSI, and then they became the T1i, T3, all of these. And then after that, um, so to this very day, I have an X, uh, a, a T2i, um, which on, you know, I'm using on ground stuff or at the time I was using on my head. And parallel to that, I got my 60D for ground stuff, non, non-sky related. I got it because of a skydiving event. For to be able to do more stuff on a skydiving event, which was Nationals 2012 in Eloy, um, for which I was covering media for USPA at the time, both video and steels, and I just did not want to switch the steels on and off my helmet between the jumps and foreground stuff. So I, you know, I mean, you got a big project, you're ending up getting new toys, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so that was that was when I got the 60D as as a secondary, which became with time my main. And the T2I is now the secondary. So I, I knew your name before I met you. I would see a lot of your photos in Parachutist. How often would you submit pictures to them? How many I days are in a week? <laughs> <laughs> no, not that much. I mean, um, I definitely submitted a lot of pictures and got a lot of pictures published there. Thank you, Ori. Um, I've been published a lot because of Ori. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's true, too, yes. Um, um I don't know. It's a good question. How many of them I... Uh, Do you know how many you, you ended up having published? Of course. Around each. No, well, not the right... Not the exact number. When I was still counting, and uh, 2000 and probably 14 or 13... That's the year, not the number, shit. Justin. I think, uh, <laughs> I think uh, 2013-ish. Um, yeah, 2013. Um, 2014, I had about... 
if you really count everything in, it was around 150 publications nice. of both parachutist and non-parachutist stuff, but a lot of those were parachutist or other USPA printed, published um, materials. Didn't you take the picture of me and Mario Sotberg for an AFF course that was on the cover of the IRM? Right. Yeah, here yes. it is right here. I found yeah, it, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Dude, and, that uh, cover the IRM. For once, I'm actually ahead of you guys on picture. Is what, one what of my on the right. Oh, 2011, God, 2012. That's one of my favorite pictures, and, and part of the reason why is I am friends with almost everybody who either took the photo or is in the photo, including, I believe, Steve Barker took one of those photos, who was my, uh, I've mentioned Steve's name several times, who got me into the sport. So that IRM has a lot of connections for me through people. So it's, it's always been my favorite cover. The instructor's rating manual for the... For the layman? Yeah. And uh, it happens to be I'm also on the cover of those people, which is also part of why it's one of my favorites because, you know, who doesn't love me? I mean, yourself. Nobody loves me. (laughs) (laughs) So, man, one of the things that you mentioned is the cameras you've gone through, and both you and Nick, you guys shoot a lot of video, a lot of stills. Um, When I did video and stills back to, I only, uh, I just got into the digital era. I probably shot a dozen hand of videos with a digital camera i did all film back then um we never jumped the most expensive cameras and something you just mentioned you got this nice 60d but yet you didn't jump it it's part of the part of it was the price so what the kind of camera things. quality do i need to jump and shoot video and stills for like regular events and tandems the lightest one on your neck <laughs> i mean right now that like what Ori just said is very true but really the best video camera i think right now is a gopro 7 like unless we're talking about cinema quality cameras, mm-hmm. but man, that GoPro Seven is really hard to beat. I just recently shot some stuff in San Marcos for Texas State uh, video. U- University. It's a yeah. really good video. Have you haven't seen the longer version? Have you? I saw a one minute version. Oh, you did see that one? Okay, yeah. cool, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, man, the all the ground stuff I shot with my uh, Sony A Seven S two with a nice lens and very in- intentional lighting and composition and man that gopro 7 does not stick out at all like the footage is is really nice so it's obviously really limited and you know if if you want that more cinematic look of the depth of field of the of the shot and trying to make certain things look far away right you have to jump something else but uh man as far as the stabilization goes it's it's real hard to beat i heard it's pretty good (laughs) (laughs) super hard to beat yeah (laughs) <laughs> Justin, what are you drinking tonight, buddy? You're on. <laughs> You're on a roll. I, I mean, just, he's made that same joke eight times. Yeah. I'm, I'm just trying <laughs> but to. He's on a roll counting. He's paying attention tonight. I'm going for a record like Waz with shout outs. <laughs> You'll never match that record. No, man. there's no, no way. No, no. Mighty, mighty shout out. <laughs> um, what about still cameras? What what should people be looking for for still cameras? The lightest you can have. No, I'm kidding. Same, I mean, and, this, and again, this it's, part. It's re- we're really fortunate right now that that is a pretty... Right. The, like the the small Sony mirrorless cameras do a really great job. The autofocus is really fast. The pictures are extremely decent. Uh, some people are doing two GoPros, so one for video, one for stills. Uh, the only thing I don't like about doing a GoPro for stills is it's really hard to make nice composed photos, like when you're getting group shots on the ground, anything in the airplane, and then all the photos just kind of look the same because it's so wide. Wide, yeah. But uh, for me... Uh, like a Sony A6000 or even like I think the A5200 was the first one they made that's, that's really small, really light. Those cameras do a really good job. 
I've actually been looking at getting a good camera for traveling in general. Um, man, you, got, I, you got an iPhone? I do. <laughs> That's what I bring. <laughs> so I bring my Moto Jet. What's Moto amazing is I've actually printed out uh, trips from uh, Oregon for Valerie and I on my iPhone and my home printer. And I'm not shocked, but Val's like, you printed that off your iPhone and our printer. I'm like, yeah. She's like, oh, my God, we could take more pictures. Yep. But the pictures were taken on vacation. I want field of depth or depth of field. I, I want that. I want it's a lot of nature shots, mm-hmm. so I just feel like my iPhone limits that. But man, the next gen these this is a really old iPhone. The newly unveiled Samsung Note 10 has four rear cameras. because oh. I'm uh, a tech nerd like that. Yeah, and this has th- this is an old iPhone that takes decent pictures, and that's about it. So I, I know with the new mm-hmm. iPhone will have a little bit more depth to them. Um, and no, I'm not going to buy an Android, so you can get over that. Okay, no, you can just be stuck with a shitty phone, then that's fine. <laughs> I have no problems with my phone. I don't get this whole Android iPhone war, and I know Justin, I don't what, think, you, is you in it You were just either. putting fuel on the flame. I was. <laughs> yeah. I was, because I think Justin and I have this war going on with Apple and iPhone, because I don't think either one of us care as much as we like to talk shit to each no, other. No, not really. Yeah. yeah. Really like Other it, than the fact that iPhone makes you use iTunes, that pisses me off. Not anymore. They're getting rid of iTunes altogether. Good. Yeah. That which, fucking thing's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I will say iPhone is better than some Android phones because you got some cheap, cheap, shitty Android phones out there. Oh, yeah, definitely. But the Samsung phones but are But really I also nice. have a Samsung S10 Plus. So you actually have one of my favorite pictures Ori's ever taken up on the screen right now. Not oh, yeah? on Facebook, but you're about to put it on Facebook, I believe. Or did you take that picture? Yes, I did. Were you staring at my wife's ass? That's right. That's exactly what I was staring at. (laughs) Still do. I mean, right now, that's what I'm doing. Is that Deguayo? Yeah, Valerie shot a video for Deguayo for a couple years, and Ori went and shot outside video. And back to you, we've been published more times by you, uh, thanks to you, than than any other given person. Hmm. Um, You just did a great job always capturing pictures. Did anyone take a picture of you taking a picture of Val taking those pictures? (laughs) No, the outside, outside, outside video? Yeah, that one. Yeah, no. Not on this one, at least. No, I don't think... uh, Well, no. (laughs) Not Not on these ones, no. I have a picture around here somewhere of that. Somebody shooting outside video of me and somebody shooting outside video of them just because we were bored that day and right, yeah, we yeah. went up on a load and did that. This was in Indiana. Uh, my buddy Alex, you, you, well, you both know Alex. Yep. So do you, you, I think you know Alex yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. You know, I think no one can probably do it with six people. <laughs> the challenge has been <laughs> What are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> I'll be on the ground, buddy. I don't know. But I mean, I can I can look up at you guys and, and wave or stuff like that and say, yeah, you can do it. But other than that, I'm not going to be so probably. If it's a record, do all the cameramen get on the record if there's sure. six of them? Wait, sure. wait, wait. That's, called a, that's called a free fly jump. Oh. <laughs> Were you about to say something, Nick? I was going to ask Corey when his last skydive was. July the 7th, 2017. It was two hop and pops on the day. And what uh, what wing were you flying? What 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 uh, what canopy were you flying? Uh, it was one of my Velo eighty fours. Yeah, how did it feel? How did it feel to do those hop and pops? Um, the first one, uh, I think I was uh, expecting something going on with my neck, and which was yeah, exactly you, what was going maybe on. Maybe we should mention that you, you kind of stopped jumping because you were having some neck issues. Right, right? I stopped jumping on August twenty thirteen. Well, I stopped jumping full time, which is almost equivalent to almost stop jumping. Um, on August 2013, after having a hard opening that kind of messed up my neck. And um, at that point, I, you know, I, I took it as a, as a good break, like break from 
from the sport, from the from working in the drop zone all the time. Um, so that hard opening pretty much came up in a pretty good time for me as far as my time in the sport at then. And I thought, okay, it's just going to be a break, right? And here we are, six years later, life took me to different places, and I still haven't made it back to consistently jumping or definitely not yet to working again in the sky since then. So, uh, but yeah, as far as jumping, after that uh, hard opening on 2013, I made few jumps a year since then, and then the ones on 2017 were these ones on July and the seventh, and I only remember it because it was a, it, it was a day before my birthday, so I took myself out for a for a treat and jumped a little bit. But that was it; it was two open pops, and um, landing was fun. Landing was fun, and exiting was fun. Um, it was way like landing at the time because I also gained some weight before that. Got to get that was, wing loading, son. That's right. That's that's exactly what I did. So uh, every six or seven or eight months, I would jump, and every time my wing loading was higher. So it became more and more. It became more and more fun to jump and land because <laughs> it was faster. Um, it was definitely way faster than what I uh, remembered it. And um, but I can tell you for sure that what used to be a second nature as far as approaching into your landing and the visual and when you know when you're doing it every day over and over and over and over again. I mean, you always know where you're going to end up or pretty much know where you're going to end up and you, you see it all very, very naturally. If Whenever you're stopping for a long time, all of a sudden, all this muscle memory and all this visual memory and all of that stuff is actually not there and you probably need to practice it and brush it up a little, me- a little bit before it comes back to... So, you know, it, it's like riding a bicycle, but not all the way. Like, it's not as... All of a sudden, it's not as natural as it used to be, which was, I was very, I wasn't weirded by that, but I was surprised how much of a big deal it makes when you're not jumping for a long time and you're coming in back to, so, you know. Do you feel like you just had to use a lot more brain power to get the same result? Was um, it scary? No, it wasn't scary, but I, I, um, I did not get the same result that I used to get. And all of a sudden, it was like, well, wait, I. You were I, good? Hey. I mean, suddenly you were good. Exactly, it was very surprising <laughs> on that end for sure. I was like, "Whoa, what's what's happening? What 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 uh, what's, what did I do? What did I do right?" <laughs> um, but no, it was like I, I definitely remember the landing. Um, what used to be again very natural on high performance turns. Um, I had to put work into it, and I had to put work. Which at that point, work is also. I guess some of it is thinking about it, uh, but some of it is just it was harder to do than what I used to do. Like it used to just it be it used to be smooth, and now I had to put work into it. Like what mm-hmm. I I used to do it like with my eyes closed and everything would be great. What's going on? So I guess it's you know when you're taking a big a long break, apparently that's that's part of it, and it's going to take time to put yourself back into routine. How much did you back off of what you used to do? Like did you were you more cautious? Did you take different approaches? On those other jumps, on the once when, in a while, once in a while jumps. Yes. No. Um, so <laughs> first of all, first of all, um, so a lot of those were just hop and pops, um, and and both on the hop and pops and the rest of them, I I didn't really do anything. I wasn't really cautious more than ever. I did do less of a turn at that point in 2017 because when I was still jumping in 2013. We were allowed to do whatever whatever turn that we wanted on 
everywhere we wanted mm-hmm. in space. And so that was Gosh, for me something. So that, was some, that was definitely something that I needed to put. Like It was surprising how much work it is to just put a lot of work into that 90 and get the same result that I expected of getting for myself landing. But apparently, and, and my, my turn before that used to be 360s every time. No matter, we, I mean, from both directions in space and no matter if I was doing a right, right hand or left hand. Um, the pattern is always left. It was always a left, but the turn itself, depending on which side of the of the hangar I was coming in, mm-hmm. um, I was always on on three sixties. That's because you know some people would say it's a good turn, it's a bad turn, it's whatever. Yes, there are, there will be forever opinions about that stuff. Yeah. Um, that was what I got myself used to do, and I was good at it. So you were good at it, and um, it frankly is not the easiest turn for accuracy. And Correct. you were accurate with it, right? So I think just because I got used it. to it. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just because whatever I got, uh, because I got used to it. But then putting that ninety into work, <laughs> yes, it went fast. Like when I was flying close to the ground to land it, finally it was it was fast, and I was like, "Whoa, that's faster than what I remember it." <laughs> but that's because my wing loading; it's not because of the turn. I mean, but the turn was rough. Like I remember putting work into it. Like you know, part of it is because it was all only a ninety, so. That's part of it. The other thing is the visual as far as heights is way different. So, of course, I took it down a notch uh, as far as altitude to begin my 90. But still, like it, it felt like I, I'm not... I was rusty at the time, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I do miss the ability to do bigger turns in the main landing area. USPA's group membership, group member pledge says we separate high performance in normal landing areas. And quite frankly, it does make sense. I... I don't have to uh, like something to agree with something. Um, mm-hmm. I was a promoter of separating the landing areas. Right. But one of my favorite things that have come out of the separated landing areas is, man, how much better are you, Nick, at 90s than you used to be? Yeah, I would say I can get a lot more out of a parachute because I've because you're limited on that turn. Correct. And what's been super cool for me to see is as we talk to newer and younger jumpers, we can sit there and go, look, you don't have to do a big turn to crush it because how often do you land straight in and don't do anything on a landing? In other words, you're not doing a blind man, you're not doing a lazy boy, you're not doing <laughs> not, something. Not very often. Right? And, and even on my stupid Spectre, man, you've seen me uh, go through a couple blind mans on a Spectre on a 90. It's it's an opportunity for us to sit there and show people you don't need the big turn Correct. to look good and have fun. Um, no doubt the big turn is faster. No doubt the big turn is, is funner for us. But I don't know if you've noticed, but I've seen a huge learning curve increase with our younger jumpers because they have to do 90s longer to stay in that landing area and not run over to the pond. So I've actually seen a huge increase in learning curve because of that change in policy. I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, yeah. It, it's it's uh, Part of it is, I think, it's like, you know, harder on training, easy on, well, they say harder on training, easy on war. But it's harder on training because you're, you, you are you're milking that canopy, you're milking that 90 to get so much power out of it. Where normally you will need to put a 270 or a 360 or a 180, not 180, but 270 or 360 and both normally. 450. Exactly. Um, yeah, 180 is weird. Um, doable, but weird. Um, so, you know, we, we used to put so much power into it. So, of course, we would get what, what Nick is getting today all the time on his 90s. But now that you can you can get this performance with your 90, it's just, again, making you a better canopy pilot who, who understands the, the equipment, not the equipment, but you understand you understand the tool that you have in your hand better and, you, and you're probably flowing with it better. 
I think it's like a comparable thing to like slow speed progression in the tunnel. Mm -hmm. The people who have so much uh, experience learning how to refine it well at a slower speed with less power are the people who can turn that up to to the next level. I'm I'm sure the same same philosophy and everything. I I agree. I really push them. Like when I'm working with people who are avid tunnel flyers, I tell them all the time, got good at slow speed first? Yeah, let's work at slow speed, high speed flight. In other words, let's work on our 90s longer than the average person, and I bet you you'll progress quicker in the end. Right. And consistently, I see that result uh, happen. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, Frank Chance is one who worked on his uh, smaller turns longer than the average guy, but when he went to his bigger turns, he just started cranking through shit so much faster and so much better. I hope I didn't just compliment Frank Chance, though, so... Um, speaking of canopy piloting, one of <laughs> I like how we all just let that dangle. <laughs> oh my god! No. It's like it's Frank. So no, he's a yeah. good guy. No. Come on, yeah, Frank's a phenomenal guy. He's a great dude, man. I mean, he he's doing great, and he uh, I think his progression shows really well. And hey, the guy was just a part of a new upright world record. That's pretty impressive too for the amount of years that he got in the sport while not being a talent instructor. Um, I think he's doing pretty good. Yeah, he was just on the 84-way head-up record and the unofficial over 100-way record. And uh, what you say is not only has he not uh, been a tunnel instructor, but really in skydiving, he didn't do a lot of free fall. He mainly focused on canopy flight for the longest time and did limited quality free fall jumps. They were mainly Mm. monkeying around free fall jumps. And he was always safe. He was always smart and heads up. But he really didn't push a skill set in free fall until the last about year. And in the last year's time frame, he has been getting in the tunnel a lot, training with a group. He has been uh, focused on group skill jumps and going to camps. And I mean, it worked out well. Dude, he's crushing it, man. Have you been flying in the tunnel at all lately? Not lately. I haven't been flying in anything for the last... uh, Well, I haven't been flying in anything since last... November. Last time that I flew in the tunnel was um, in November, and I flew with Nick. My yeah, last flight. I, I was going to ask if you got a suit that fits you better yet. Um, you were not to be disrespectful. You were a floaty little bitch in that suit you were wearing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little baggy. You lost some weight, you know. Yeah, I'm slowly, as you can tell, I'm doing really well, um, growing back into feeling <laughs> this suit. Which, by the way, <laughs> Nick was also the one who measured me for it, and he really enjoyed it too. It got really intimate. Oh yeah, it was so much, so much fun. Yeah, those inner thigh measurements, man. Mm. <laughs> oh, so look at it, look at those oh. spice oh. It's so slippery. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I, I kind of will we'll just go into the conversation now. Then, then last November was your last tunnel time. Correct. What's happened between then and now? So on January first, I um, did the first surgery out of two, and that surgery. Um, and also that tunnel flying, both of them came after a session of a month and a half of uh, chemo radiation therapy that I did. Um, I had to get... Uh, so I was diagnosed with uh, colorectal cancer last July. No July shit. 26. Exactly. <laughs> um, pretty crappy situation, as you can imagine. Um, Definite pain in the ass. Oh, totally. Um <laughs> You know, at the end, once it all be done, it will all be behind me. Um, anyway, <laughs> so uh, that was last July. And um, since then, I started um, radiation or chemo radiation at that point on September last year. Um, after a month and a half of that, I had three months of a break between my surgery. This was when I came back to the States for a short visit of two weeks on which I flew with Nick and some other people in the tunnel. Um, 
in iFly Memorial. That was November. Then January, I did the first surgery. Um, <coughs> two months later, <laughs> I started uh, chemotherapy of four and a half months. And I just finished with this chemotherapy stuff um, after six cycles of chemotherapy th- about three and a half weeks ago. Um, and now I'm just, um, now that I'm done with chemotherapy, I'm just pretty much waiting to give the body about a month of a break from weird stuff that we've been doing to it, uh, weird ways that we've been poisoning it. So yeah. instead you're drinking that peach moonshine. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's really, really... Somebody mentioned you had peach tea and replace no. the word tea. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can... Yeah, sure, it's just tea. That's exactly what it is. It was actually Adam Buckner who said he loved working with you on ads back in the day. Mm-hmm. You know Adam. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, so now I'm just uh, on this break between the procedures pretty much and... Uh, I'm going to land back in Israel on the 12th of this month. And then about 24 hours later, I'm going to have my uh, first follow-up PET CT scan, which is to scan the body to show, hopefully to show that there's no other stuff, weird stuff going on. The next stage would be to, um, the next, well, there are a few other stages, but the the final part will be the second surgery, which I will go through. Uh, which will be to put all the pipes back together, uh, get rid of the little uh, bag of poop that I'm carrying around with me, um, right under this shirt right now, too. Um, <laughs> she's doing so well. I mean, so I mean, it's a she? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, she's. Yeah, I figured it'd be a he because it's full it, of shit. It looks like a she, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the thing is, we are very attached um, to each other. Um, so yeah, that that's gonna be the next and hopefully final stage. Uh, hopefully forever. I had my share with cancer. I'm I'm done. I'm, I don't want to deal with it ever. Um, and yeah, you know, it's been uh, it's been a journey. It's been an interesting journey. It's not over yet. But um, so yeah, that's that's what happened uh, before and after that flight you know, on yeah. last November in in flight Memorial. So my goal of having you on the show was you have so many cool skydiving experiences to share, and we want, I want to talk more about that. Mm-hmm. But when you first showed up to my house, you're, you're staying with me for a couple of weeks now. Yep. Uh, one of the first conversations I got into you into with you was your your health and the cancer and whatnot. And, and the thing that stood out to me right away was two things. Number one, you were a very very open book. You had no, you, you you were ready and able to talk about it all. Which, frankly, I'm I'm kind of shocked. I think I would be sick of it if I were you by now. Um, sick of talking about the whole thing. But the thing that stood out even more is the jokes you just made, the attitude you have. People are dealt de- life de- uh, deals in hand. I'm trying to say it's English. Um, but you, you've gone with it the best you can. You've smiled through it. You have rolled with the punches. You have kept a great sense of humor. How have you done that? Um, so I've, I've heard that from a few other people before. Um, so first of all, about the being open about it, mm-hmm. I think that um, first of all, if anyone can learn anything from that experience, or from my experience, um, for either them or anyone else that they might know that is going through something like that, so they're, I'm all into like opening it and explaining it and give all every, every any question that you would ask me, I'll answer the full direct answer, um, just because maybe someone can benefit from that in the future. Um, <clears throat> that's the first thing. The other thing is that about the whole being open stuff. Um, and I don't know if that got to do anything with this experience or not, but 
this experience of going through that shit, literally, um, <laughs> is very much, um, you know how they say that when you're going through cancer, it changes your perspective on life and like stuff becomes like different. And so for years, I thought that was a cliche and it's actually not. So that's why I'm like, I don't have any problem whatsoever to say whatever about that, that shit. Um, it, it's, it's really like, if anyone got a problem with that, it's their problem. And, and, and a lot of the times I would ask the person who was asking a question, like if they are okay with me explaining stuff, mm-hmm. because some people are either, you know, they're, they're either not okay with listening to that or they're just being discussed by it or they just cannot. I mean, I understand that. So that's something that I'm taking into consideration. So I normally ask before I, before I answer, but if they are okay with it, I will answer the whole thing because maybe them or someone else that they know might benefit from that in the future. And about the, like, how do I, how do I keep the smiling stuff? So I think I'm very, there are a few things about it. The first one is I can either laugh about it or cry about it. And I prefer as much as I can to laugh about it. Um, and the other thing that for sure uh, helped me and for which I'm very, very gra- grateful and thankful um, throughout this process um, has been and still is having um, a very supporting family and very supporting group of friends, both, you know, in and outside of skydiving and in different places in the world at the end. I mean, these days, 2019, we, you can be in touch with anyone you want anywhere in the world. Um, which is what I have been going through too. Um, so having that support is definitely, I think, is making a huge difference. And um, a, a huge difference in the way you can process stuff and in the way you can keep on going with stuff. Um, I think that's a very important thing to have, um, that support from family and friends. And um, I'm sure that without it, I would not be as a happy, you know, person about that stuff. Um, but again, I'm very grateful and thankful for the fact that I've been going through this the way I have been going through this, uh, because not everybody are, um, not everybody that are going through those things are getting through them that much in an age. You know, I I did go through some stuff. I mean, it's really like a lot of it's just like poisoning the body. Um, and a lot of it is like not fun experiences, but really, I mean, knock on wood, that's wood, right? Yeah. yeah. That's wood. Um, knock on wood, I went through it like easily compared to what it could have been. Um, and I've, I've known people and I've, I've heard about people with bad experience, way worse experiences. So, you know, having that, it's like, it's a, it's a huge thing. And then. Yeah, I don't really have. Like sometimes I feel bad for the easy, easy for the age that I went through that process with because some other people are not that lucky to have that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. But yeah, that's definitely like how do I do it? So you do it when you have a good, a good back on your back. I mean, a good back backup. It's a backing network. support. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. Otherwise, I don't think it's it's doable to that in that to do that in that way um so i think that's what it is one of the, one of the things that interests me is the sense of mortality you know at some point we all realize we could die mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. i think some mm-hmm. of us are in firm grasp of our mortality but when you face something like cancer 
it's got to become more real. At any point, did you think I can die from this? Yes. <laughs> when I, uh, well, first of all, for the for the whole beginning of the process. So after I, after I pushed time for two and a half months, going through pain and other different weird side effects, which I couldn't explain with anything. And after I lost or what I say disappeared thirty pounds within those two two and a half months. Um, after going through that, I was told I was diagnosed here in Webster, Texas, with that tumor, and um, and you know it, it takes some time. The first few hours, you're just trying to figure out what's going on, but I knew right away that I will need to go home because I have no family whatsoever here in the U.S. And just going through an oncology case, you know what you're going to start with. You don't know how you're going to end up, and you don't know what's going to ha- happen on the way. And for me, it was obvious that I have to leave everything behind, literally, and leave and go. Um, and start treatment there as fast as possible. But the doctor here told me, "Hey, I'm, 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 I hope that you will make the flight. I hope that they will not like that. You won't either die on the flight, or that they will need to land somewhere in Europe on the way because you will be in crazy pain." So that was the first time that I ended up thinking that I might not make it because the surgical issue was bigger than the cancer at the time. It was a tumor that was almost completely obstructive to my colon. Um, so and he said, hey, I hope that you're going to make it. And that was just as simple as I'm saying it now. I hope you're going to make the flight. Okay, thanks. Well, great. I guess I can die. Not because it's cancer, just because it's a tumor that's almost completely blocking me. Uh, so that was the first time. And then, you know, after you're going through, after you start the treatment and after you see that the treatment and the radiation are working, at that point, I think you understand that it's a, it's a process and, it, and you understand that you have to do it. And you understand that you... That's what it is. It's a phase. You're going to go through that. Um, and y- you don't too many times... After you start seeing it working, you don't many times, I think... I mean, I didn't think too many times about what you just said, about the effect of... Damn it, I could I could die from this any any moment. I am... Now, the truth, the, the real truth is that, yes, I can still die from it. Um, if it will come back or if it will hurt other places in my body or if the next time, uh, hopefully there will be never next time, but if something happens and, you know, and and the body doesn't react well to the treatment, then you are screwed and then you have to look around for different treatments and that takes time and you give the cancer more time to, you know, scroll around in your body. So, yes, it, it, that, that will be forever something that I will be living with. That that thought in the back of my mind, on the back of my of my neck, sitting there saying, hey... Nothing is for granted, and it, it it can come back, and it it can fuck you up pretty good again, or even worse. And so, yeah, I think for from now on, or since it started until the end of my life, there will be always that. It's not a risk, but it, it, there will be always that thought that, um, yeah, I mean, it. We are, we are. I mean, we are living. We're walking on eggshells at all times, and mm-hmm. it can come out of nowhere which is exactly kind of what this was. You've always been an upbeat, positive guy, and you've always had a brighter look on life in general, which I, I think is part of how you've gotten through this. But has that outlook changed or grown because of it? Um, well, I can definitely tell you that, that going through this, and definitely in the first few weeks or months, um, brought a lot of would have, should have, could have to my mind. Um, 
What the, what does that list look like? Your, your what have should have us. What, what did you think you needed to do differently? The main thing was to not stop jumping in 2013. Because I I truly believe um, that the fact that I took myself out of the sport almost completely and definitely very, very abruptly after doing it as a job for full-time for nine and a half years, um, taking myself out of it not only took away the, you know, the physical fun involved which affects mental fun, but also took... I, on purpose and completely aw- with awareness to it, took myself out of the world of skydiving, um, more out of the social life m- with it. And that, um, the truth is that I think that it put me in a very lonely place. Um, so after the doctor told me what he just found on July 26th last year, you know, I, I processed that, but... Somewhere in the back of my mind, I was like not super surprised because I was, for those last five years, up until last year, somewhat in a not as good place anymore. And I'm pretty sure it's because I just, A, left, you know, left most of the stuff that was involved with skydiving and, and B, didn't replace it with anything else or didn't replace the social part of it with anything else. So that was the first biggest should have, would have, could have. The other should have, would have, could have, where um, I should have taken a dog before because I do like dogs. I mean, you can tell that I like dogs, but it was always for years. It was like, well, I don't know if I'm making enough money to take care of a dog. And yeah, well, I'm living in a, in a rented place. And, you know, both my landlord and my roommates were always okay with me or with anyone taking a dog. It just that I didn't feel like that was the right thing to do. So I didn't do it. Um and I think there were some other sh- would have, should have, could have regarding the way I did things as a as a freelancer in the video production and photography world. Um, more technical or more, I guess, business related stuff that I didn't do or that I was waiting with or you know, p- postponing on stuff. And it's like no, it's like why did I do why? So those all those sh- would have, should have, would have, could have. It's like why didn't I do such and such and. So I think those were the first things that came to mind that I kind of beat myself up for. Um, not anymore, because now I think, okay, I'll finish with all of it, and I'll be golden, and I'll be good to go, and I'll, 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 I'll bring myself back to this world, because then I couldn't tell how big, of a, how big of a deal it was for me in life. Now I can tell, you know, looking at looking at backwards uh, and looking back and seeing it as an outsider, all of a sudden I was like, wow, I was fucking stupid. Like, you know, another thing that is another would have, should have, could have. I'm seeing I'm seeing myself in pictures from those five years or for definitely for the last few years. I'm seeing myself in pictures with all those 30 pounds that I lost. And I'm looking at the pictures. And I'm like, how the hell did I let myself or like get to that situation? What was going on? Like. Stuff that at the time was like, oh, it's just life, right? It's, everything is cool. Everything is okay. So no. So that, that that's also one of those things. Um, yeah, and every once in a while you, you, you think, you know, you there are little things that are coming up for which, like, y- there are things that I think I was caring more for at the beginning. Um, or not at the beginning. I, I was caring for before cancer. And now I just don't give a fuck. I mean, if someone would, if I would say something, or if I would wear something, or if someone got the problem with whatever I'm doing, fuck them. Um, 
and that's I'm way more like that. I'm way more spontaneous these days because I'm. I know it's because of that. Because really, why are we investing so much thought and energy sometimes in things that like they have no effect on life whatsoever? And so that's one of those big changes too. I think. I think yeah. Everybody's okay. I mean, sorry. Yeah, I'm just sorry. Listening, man. Uh, I mean. It's really hard to imagine what it's like to go through something like what you've gone through without actually doing it, right? We can all imagine what it's like to get sick or what it's like to hear those words from a doctor, but it's like I feel like once you actually hear that news and once you're living that life and you have to spend so much time with your thoughts about it, I feel like people just come to conclusions and have thoughts that you know you just otherwise won't get if you're if you're not in that situation. So I'm I'm just trying to soak it up. Really. Right, and I think that's very unfortunate. And I and I and I said it to a few people in the last few weeks. I said it's I I think it's very sad that we don't we don't realize those things unless we get a big shake in our life, or unless we get a reality a truly reality check in our life. Um, and it sucks. I mean, why do we have to go through these things to to start thinking that way? So I wish people didn't need to go through those things in order to do the switch in their minds for them. I mean, I really think that struggle inspires growth. And that's what I, I mean, I, that's my, that's what makes me exercise every day is even though I hate it, it's like, okay, this is going to make me miserable, but there's something better on the other side. And I, I really like to see when people embrace struggle, when they elect to have struggle, I think that like sadness and depression and just kind of not being fulfilled in life happens easily when life is just super easy for somebody. Yep. Like when you see someone who is, you know, maybe they were born into money, they've never had to work for anything, they're not really challenged, then you, you know, wh- whatever that person's life might look like, it, that, that doesn't seem like a super fulfilling life to me. Right. But, um, you know, challenge, whether you pick it or it picks you, it seems to it's, always yeah. uh, always give back to, to, somebody's, to somebody's life. Right. I totally agree with that. So what's, uh, what's, how much weight are you up or down now? You, I mean, I can tell by looking at your face, you're, you've still lost a lot of weight. Well, I lost most of those 30s, but I'm uh, I'm slowly coming up uh, back to, uh, well, not what it was, but so I think um, before chemo, I remember it in kilos and you will need to check it on there. Um, it, was a, it was around uh, 69 or 70 or 71 kilos. And now that I'm... 154. I do that in my head. Is that right? What? 2. No, 2. it sounds too... 70? You better check he that He sounds again. very good with numbers, so I'm not going to... No, he's great Isn't with it numbers. Isn't 2.26 or something? Or 2. You were... No, it was 2.4. No, no, it's 2.2 something. Two something. Yeah, two, two, 240. What? Wait, wait, no, this way. 150 much. and 240 are two 70 kilos. 71 kilograms is 156 pounds. Mm, okay. That's I'll according to Google. That was before... Isn't that what I said? Originally? Yeah, you were... 154? Oh, fuck, I'm an asshole. Um, <laughs> what the fuck? Y'all it's okay, we're talking me. about assholes. It's, uh, it's <laughs> all good. I don't know what's So pre-chemo, you were 71 Pre-chemo was 71, correct. And now I'm about 75. Woo! And what were you at your heaviest? Oh, I don't know. Take 68 and add... Uh, take the 69, uh, 68 kilos, put it into pounds, and now add 30. So 180 pounds. Mm-hmm. Sounds about right, and even no, I, I think it was more than that. Yeah, I'm gonna say I think it was more than that. Just because it was one ninety something. Yeah, looking at some of the pictures of you, you, you were pushing bigger. It was than the one ninety six, one ninety seven, one ninety eight. Clearly, are you still able to exercise with everything that's going on with you? I'm not allowed 
um, which is a great excuse. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, um, so I do walks. It's really cute. Um, <laughs> do you power walk like a woman a, in a mall? <laughs> no, that, but it probably should. Was that a Stewie voice I just heard? <laughs> no, but you're right. It did sound uh, like a Stewie voice. Yeah, yeah, it did sound bit. like it's a, what, a cool quip. Cool quip. Where's Alex running? Cool quip. Cool quip. Cool what? Um, I am not allowed to um, to do anything with weights or to to do anything with heavy grocery store bags. Not that I would ever do something like that. Um, so I'm not allowed to do anything with um, heavy lifting, and I'm not allowed. I'm not supposed to do anything that got to do with core. Mm-hmm. What about like your heart that rate? Or is there is there a limitation on? No, that's just me being lazy. Okay. So <laughs> cardio. But you could run or be on elliptical or bike or something I like that. I could. I um, I could. I hate it. And um, <laughs> as far as so ellipticals and stuff, sure, if it's in the same place, it's gonna be fine. But if I would run and I would not put that ileostomy bag in something that keeps it like super tight to the body, that thing will just flap. <laughs> so I I don't want to deal with it and I'm lazy so you know cardio um, yeah cardio is very important and I probably should more do more of it so we got Sacrifice September coming up what's up <laughs> so have you heard us talk about this at all no it's like uh, so we both listen to the Joe Rogan podcast more than most people should <laughs> they do what's called sober October meaning they give up drugs alcohol okay. they, there's usually a fitness challenge that's incorporated with that mm. but uh, I think last year DJ was going to be on a cruise in October okay so he knew that he was not going to be sober in October is, no, that, is that right uh, what was it no uh, October was the uh, it's the film festival that keeps me from wanting to be sober it's big oh part is that it. what it is I yeah. thought it was a cruise good yeah. enough um, good enough reason I don't I mean. think October was a cruise last year um, I swear there was something other than the film festival Dude, yeah, there was something else, and I can't remember. There was more than one reason I wanted to drink in September, and I can't remember what you, October. We're gonna drink I mean. in October, so we did sober September. Dude, do you realize Fair we're enough. doing sober September during Heath and Paula's wedding? Mm, well, I don't know. I'm shooting video at that wedding, so Dude, I'm fine we're going to be at a fucking whiskey distillery, and I'm going to be sober. Well, I'm going to be okay with that. Are, these are the choices we've made. I'm totally okay <laughs> with that. But I'm going to have to do Murph at some point on that day. Are, do you realize this? <laughs> oh, I stop complaining. I take it all back. This will um, be my first Dove opening day season, not drinking heavily. <laughs> oh, it was, dove, the, uh, yeah. it was the TRC 10th anniversary retreat. 10th anniversary TRC. Okay. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. Mm. So long story short, we did Sober September instead of Sober October. We're doing it again this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's fun to have people who listen to the podcast participate. <laughs> so it's... Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> go I'm ahead. Just, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I so just thought the, of something. The, the thought that DJ had, this is a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. was uh, DJ and I both hate running. And so okay. his idea was, hey, let's let's run a mile every day in September. Okay. It's like, okay, yeah, I can, I can hate that. But <laughs> <laughs> yep. But um, it would be super awesome if anyone wanted to join us, and if you wanted to tape your shit bag down and, <laughs> and run a mile every day. That to me, the, the the biggest reason that I would want you to do that is so that I can talk shit to anybody else who's not willing. Literally to Literally talk shit to exactly. anyone. <laughs> but hey, Ori's going through this. He's got this going if on. He can and do he, it. And he's still doing it. Right. And if you don't do it, what does that say about you? He doesn't care so, about your health. He cares that you right, can right. use yeah, I'm you just to using, talk shit. Using so, you. Exactly right. So I've got a few things to say. The first one is before the first surgery, I did try to work out as much as I could. Mm-hmm. So between 
between chemo radiation and the first surgery, which was three months, I tried to work out as much as I could. Didn't really do too much cardio, but I was skinny at the time, so it was okay. Um, I tried to do uh, to work out as much as I could and lift again, not crazy stuff because I wasn't allowed to. But and I'm sure that helped me a huge amount on the surgery and on recovery from it, which is why I will try to do as much as I can probably from now until that second surgery, just because I'm afraid of the recovery from it again. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that uh, that I thought about, that was why I was laughing, was because I hope that that second surgery would be sometimes in September. Now, after that surgery, I will be running, buddy. Not on the street, not one mile at a time. I will be running to the bathroom all the time. <laughs> so if that can count, <laughs> if that's going to happen yeah. in September and that can count. You just get a step counter, we'll count every step. Uh, well, thank God, my bathroom at home is very close to where my bed is. So uh, let me let me rephrase it. I, I'll be running if I'll make it to run. And we don't know yet. And I It's mean, possible you'll wear a diaper. Oh, yeah. It's possible that I'll, I'll wear not only a diaper. It, it's possible I'll... Hopefully not, but I might. I mean, I know that other people went through the same process. Some of them had to have di- diapers for weeks. Some of them had to have diapers for months. After that, I hope not to be in that situation. But if I need to, again, it's part of the phase. And well, uh, Don't feel bad. I still shit my pants at least once a year. So it's not There you go. Good. Perfect. <laughs> um, but I will be running. It's, ta- it's a type of running. I mean, not the runs. <laughs> just the, run, the running stuff, right. Um, yeah, no matter how you look at it. Well, I'm obviously uh, not going to expect you to start running the day after surgery. I mean, if I do have a diaper, but. what can possibly go wrong? <laughs> at that point, this will not flap around. And uh, yeah, no, I, a day after surgery, I promise I will not be running. I, I might uh, do other stuff that is involved with uh, the sobriety or the lack of sobriety at the time. <laughs> but um, but it will not be running. Yeah, I'd sure. say if a doctor gives you those pills, you're still you're still in on sober September. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, it's uh, yep. The doctors prescribed me with those things. Yes, that's I guess that's okay. Still. So you know, like being working at skydiving for so long that there are the common questions that you kind of get burnt out on on mm-hmm. hearing the same same repetitive questions. Mm-hmm. Has have you had any of those same repetitive questions come up from people about your experience of uh, of with cancer? cancer? Sure. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm not asking you for the answer to the question. <laughs> I'm just asking you for the question that you're tired of answering. I have no clue what that would be. I mean, what, what's the most common thing that people ask you? When, when uh, well, I think uh, one of the most common things is, uh, how did you find out? Okay, I don't want to know. Just kidding, how did you find out? No. <laughs> 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 shit. Why did I say that? Then? Well, um, it's, it's the opposite. No, the, no shit. No, that's right. That's exactly what, what was going on at the beginning, right? Um Long story long, uh, <laughs> dude. You, you, like you say, whatever you like want. Like I said earlier, duty. <laughs> hey, nobody should have probably. Yes, that would be great. Um, so you know, after after having those weird symptoms uh, for two and a half months, um, I kept on like like so during those two and a half months, I I I got acupuncture and I went to a gastroenterologist and I went to one of those little medical. Um, um, not emergency room, but those um, urgent care, urgent care places, and I and I and I got um, uh, I went to an, an internalist, and I went and I and I changed my diet by their suggestions. So I took out uh, wheat for a week, and I took out milk for a week, and I took out uh, meat for a week, and none of it worked. And I took like weird stomach stuff medications, and so 
for the longest time, I was just trying to do everything I could that was not involved with a colonoscopy. Although, the gastroenterologist, when I went to him two weeks after it started, um, he said, hey, in your symptoms, we normally do colonoscopy. And, um, and I said, oh, whoa, whoa, hey, colonoscopy is expensive. I'm 35 years old. I'm working out. Never smoked anything in my life. Calm down. I mean, let's, I mean, is there any, can't we do something a little lighter on the body than colonoscopy? Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I'm going uh, to be very you know, honest with you. Uh, uh, we can do a blood test and a CT scan, but take into consideration that they might not show anything. And I said, okay, let's do this. And that's what I did. And they didn't show anything. So I kept on going through this nightmare for another two months after that. Um, and at the end, I was like, okay, let's, let's do the colonoscopy. So we did the endoscopy and colonoscopy. The endoscopy is the stuff that they, they push a little camera from your mouth to your stomach. And <coughs> colonoscopy is the other way around, mm-hmm. <laughs> not from your stomach to the mouth. Um, and when I got out of the, this procedure, he said, let's do the both because we're already sedating you and we already, you're already there and we really don't know what's going on for the last two and a half months. And I got out of that procedure and the doctor told me, well, I, we did your endoscopy. It was great. I mean, nothing was uh, special there. I tried to do the colonoscopy and I couldn't do it. And I said, what do you mean you couldn't do it? And I just woke up. You, you fucking put me to sleep because you were supposed to do it. What do you mean you couldn't do it? And he said, well, I tried, by, but my, my uh, equipment, my, my colonoscope couldn't go through. You got, a, you got a pretty big tumor there that is completely, almost completely blocking uh, your colon. Um, and he said, "I'm pretty. Sh- I'm 99% sure it's it's a cancerous tumor, but I I, self- I, I, I sent some um, um, not pathology. Biops- I sent some biopsy. biopsy up to Dallas, and that was a Wednesday afternoon. And he said, I hope that by tomorrow, or that was Wednesday uh, noonish. And he said, I hope by tomorrow morning they will give me an answer. And that was it. That was July 26, and this is how I found about it. <laughs> so, yeah, um, if you have Bleeding from places that shouldn't be bleeding for a long time, go check it all the way. Like if I would have known then what I know now, I would have told the doctor, okay, let's not do colonoscopy tomorrow. Let's do a colonoscopy two weeks ago. But I was stupid. And, um, and I thought it's just, you know, because it's, it's a stomach thing, right? It, it, it comes, it goes, it's, it's okay. It's going to be fine, right? It's going to get itself sorted out. Well, apparently some of them don't. Hmm. Um, so that's, that was a good example for that. And, th- you know, part of what I'm saying, like, let other people know about the experience and let them, you know, be in the loop as far as what they could be needing to check on um, is that, unfortunately, when I, the first time that I talked to, t- to any oncologist was after I was already at home. So, by the way, six days after that, diagnostic here in Webster, Texas. Six days later, I was on an airplane to go to Israel. And when I got to Israel, the first oncologist that I talked to was there. Um, and I asked him, hey, so how, how can someone in my age, um, what can they do differently or what could have I done differently in order to not have that tumor or in order to know about it earlier or whatever? And he said, so first of all, they take, they take them anywhere between two to five years to get to the situation that you had that i had at the time um and also he said unfortunately as oncologists in the world unfortunately for the last decade or so we're seeing um more cases in younger people and we see more different types of cancer in younger people too 
and he said, the, unfortunately, and these were his wording, words, unfortunately, the scientific answer to your question is bad luck. So, yeah, that's how I found about it. God, bad <laughs> luck. Just, I, I mean, I, I don't believe that shit. I don't believe that shit either, <laughs> or lack of shit at that point. How many shit uh, jokes are we going to make it up to? On oh, podcast? tons. I mean, ton- loads of them. <laughs> oh, <laughs> They're just like the book out there. Oh, They're also man. going on the same thing. Holy <laughs> the crap. Same thing. Uh, that's right, exactly. Uh, holy crap. You've enjoyed those <clears throat> books this trip. I haven't read them. I know them by heart. I, or I can, I can write a book. Probably. You know the reading material in my bathroom. Uh, I know it is the, on the it. The history of farting. Yes. And what your poop, what your poop, what your poop is telling you, you. Yeah. and then in the what uh, poop telling you, the like the subtitle is uh, loads of information mm-hmm. about something, and they did like the capital letters, the whole loads. Thing, no, so. I remember a children's book called Everybody Poops. I feel like you might need to All add right. that to your collection. Dude, actually, that would be a great. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to say it's a picture book, but it's been it's been quite a few years since I've seen. So it. yeah, it got to so, be everybody well, poops, and in, in in the ones who don't should go and check get checked for it. Yes. What? So if you don't believe that it's bad luck either. What do you believe? I believe it was the getting myself out of the sky, skydiving world and so, skydiving social life. So yes. you think that this disease was created by you know mentally? Correct. Your change mentally and correct how, how you felt about life mentally and socially. Yes, I, I'm I'm sure about it a hundred percent. Well, you know, it's, there is no hundred percent, and no one would tell me if I'm right or wrong. This is my this is what my guts. Telling me, just a gut feeling. Yeah, it's a gut feeling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's what it was, and I I, that's what you were gonna say. But I was, it was. I was <laughs> trying to make a joke with intestine. <laughs> you, I was intestine. Ah, nice, nice. That's You're really good. intestine, my patience. Totally. Um, shit. How how many skydives right. did you have when you when you quit? Little I don't want to say quit. We're just on pause. That's right. right that's right. I'm, on, I'm still on this break. That's the thing. At the time, yeah. I thought, oh, it's going to be a break. It's before you took years. your break, two, 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 how, two many, break. how many jumps? Um, a little over 6,350. Hell yeah. Uh, but I haven't, I've been barely buzzing, buzzing. I didn't do it. Yeah, you, you hear that buzzing too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I wonder just, if it's... It just uh, kicked the, in. Like, I wonder if there's a cable, the input cable on the back of the headphone monitor. The headphone monitor is a small box. Oh, this is, I hate when we have to talk about this. So, show. yeah, just leave it alone right now. Oh, yeah. um, okay, so 6,300 jumps. How many How many cutaways do you have? One. Just one. And you yes. had a lot of jumps before that happened, right? Yeah, I had probably around 40-something hundred or 50-something hundred before that happened. And you had tension knots? Is that what I remember? I think... It was. Uh, what do you mean? You think you have one cutaway? You don't remember what it was like? What happened? <laughs> yeah, it was probably tension knots. Yeah, that's. It was yeah, probably it was tension, tension knots. Knot. No, no. Well, my, I no. don't know. My parachute was probably <laughs> fucked up. Well, I just didn't <laughs> like the I color. I just didn't like the color of the man on that one, so I decided <laughs> fuck, fuck it. it. The yeah. slider didn't right. go back up. <laughs> that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and I remember they told us something about the slider. I just couldn't remember what, and that's that's why I decided to just chop it. And I remember like yelling at Nick Reyes was flying. We were going uh, north on jump run, and Nick Grace jumped after me, and he's coming back from almost Pearland, you know, at that point. And, and so I was flying my shitty canopy for about, I don't know, a minute, minute and a half, a minute and 20, a minute and 40 before I chopped it because I was still mm-hmm. trying to handle it, you know. So I was holding, holding it with my one hand, dealing with other stuff on the other one, and I was just like, well, well, when you say dealing with other stuff with the other hand, what does that mean? Don't What's worry, that? I'm sure they can still hear us. Okay, what, what were you asking? When, you, when you're saying, <laughs> say, when you're saying dealing with other stuff yeah. with the other hand, what, what does that mean? I don't remember, but um, what the f- what, Ori? 
I think I was. How do you, uh, you have five thousand great parachute <laughs> openings, and this one time that it doesn't work. You not don't all of them were not all of them were great. It's just that all of them I landed them. Well, with all of them I got the main to the to the to the ground. With the main to the ground. Okay. It doesn't mean that all of them were great. You know. <laughs> I mean, I landed um, other stuff that people could probably say that was supposed to be chopped, mm-hmm. and I kept. Um, so you just didn't want to go looking for that main, did you? That's right. Yeah, lazy ass. And then, and and this is why I ended up uh, chopping after about a minute of trying to uh, the, the other dealing with other stuff was just me trying to deal to I guess to solve the problem and giving it you know pulls on different sides and mm-hmm. whatever and starting flying towards the drop zone was part of it. So as I'm flying towards the drop zone, the canopy is like half you know half effective at that point because mm-hmm. one side was closed by itself and the other the side the other side was. Was close by my other, right? my yeah. I was countering it with my hand, and I'm like, and I'm with my, uh, I'm already towards the drop zone. Could it be something on it that I missed with the chair here, DJ? Earlier no. with, okay. Um, and then I'm flying back, and I wanted Reyes to see it and film it. Uh, and he just passed by me. Oh, what an asshole. He, I know, Man, what an he asshole. Must have been He's able higher to see than me. Your wing was deformed. He probably haven't. He couldn't because I was flying it towards the drop zone. Everything. I mean, I made it fly, you know, straight to the drop zone. Yeah, but I mean, but you should still be able left to see the, the shape nah, of someone's wing. Who uh, I mean, he was so la- far that he wouldn't care for anything. The last cutaway that I had was really similar. I had tension knots on one side. I was countering to fly back yep, to the drop about zone. 90, 90 and uh, I think it was Claudio. Yeah, Claudio was here for a uh, for a camp. Okay, and he saw me from way far away. We were doing. Uh, um, angle, angle, group, angle thing, yeah. and I was on. I was shooting video for the first group. He was in the second group. So, and we had gone east, or no, we had gone west. They had gone east. Okay. And so I'm flying back towards the drop zone, and I know that I'm about to have a cutaway, and I'm just looking for who's getting the front row that's, seat. That's exactly what I was looking. I want to dress, and I think I was yelling at him too, or something. Like I was really trying to catch his attention, but I was low, and he was flying way faster because he had a, a good canopy at that point that mm-hmm. is going forward as it should. And I'm slowly probably like I was doing this and he was just <laughs> keeping going. And I think you can see him probably in my video because I, I filmed it on myself. I filmed it, but I wanted the outside video. Yeah, who doesn't want outside video with their chop? <sighs> their first, first chop. chop True. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Maybe on my next first chop I'll have it or something. I mean, uh, something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, something not not to abandon the shit conversation and mm-hmm. chops, but something I did want to get into tonight, and we have some limited time left. Is one of the things that you dove into in skydiving? Hey, ah, I see what you did there. Uh, was your Judge Ori? Fuck yes. Judge Judy. We got Judge Ori. That's right. You yeah. actually are a regional or retired now, regional, national, and international judge. Not retired. Go ahead. Uh, your ratings are expired, according to USPA. Yeah. Okay. That's that's why I went with the retired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Um, and so in AE canopy and FS. Mm-hmm. So AE artistics. Uh, so freestyle and free fly. Yes. Uh, FS means formation skydiving Correct. and uh, uh, canopy piloting. Canopy CP. Yes. Uh, what's the process to get into that? What drove you into judging? What's your story there? So, um, I think what drove me into judging in general or it, what drove me into getting my fs rating at the time was that i wanted to get another an additional um job or additional title that i could use um within my immigration process at the time um and 
Randy, I think it was Randy, yeah, Randy O'Connell opened a, um, an FS course at the time in Spaceland. And I thought, you know what? Um, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll take it. And that was after I talked at the time to Jim, um, James Hayhurst, Jim, Jimmy, Jim Hayhurst, um, from USP at the time from USPA. Yeah. Um, it was around the CP Nationals that was going on in Spaceland in 2011. Or, yep, it was, I believe, CP Nationals. The, the third year out of the three that then we had 11. CP Nationals, yep. right? Um, and I talked to him at the time because he knew about my process going through immigration stuff as a skydiver in the U.S. Um, and he brought the idea that maybe I should use, like, to maybe I should get into judging for that. And that's what I did with Randy here in, space, in, uh, in Texas, um, I think it was like a two days or two and something days uh, course at the time by Randy. Um, we did it at uh, Christy West's place. She was also getting the, the rating then. Um, so it was a bunch of FS people and me. I mean, you know, until then I was only like shooting. I mean, those 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 teams, and I didn't really know too much about FS. Um, I got the rating, <coughs> the, the the regional. Formation skydiving rating, formation skydiving judging judge rating, um, and then uh, barely ever used it because um, I am not an FS person, I guess you can say. And uh, you mean I you're not a fan of it? Doesn't interest you? It doesn't interest me. Yes, it doesn't interest me. I can see and I can understand the fun and the excitement and the fulfillment and the satisfaction after a good FS jump. Like if you are part of the team and you're working. It and you're getting it done, and you're getting more... Like, I can see the fun in that. But watching it, or judging it... Um, by the way, judging it is sometimes super hard, if anyone was thinking for a minute... I was going to think that judging. it was super easy, because there are formations, and the grips no, there, and the grips no, not there. No, 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 Especially no, 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 quick no. teams are hard. Quick teams, teams that will forever try to, 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 you know, to uh, switch grip, or to do like weird stuff. Magic, it worked. What the uh, fuck? So it, it's not as easy as you might think it is to judge FS at all. Um, and so I ended up not using FS almost ever other than like small, competition that, small competitions that we had here in Spaceland or um, like big formation competitions that we had in here in Spaceland or like the records that uh, I, I think um, I was judging on, um, on bigs, on one of the bigs events mm-hmm. a few years ago. So I'm, I, I love these things. I love the big formations. I love the, the you know the, the record work there because there is stuff that, that needs to. There's a task to be done at the end of the day, and those people are working hard to get those. And there's a lot of pressure going on. Um, so I'm, I, I really enjoy doing those things of the big formations or the uh, of the big or the special events and the the the, the, the records. Uh, but for just four way or eight way, first of all. I'm not that interested, and if you ask me, I don't know enough, and I don't feel like I know about enough about FS to feel okay judging it. And I always said it to, I mean, if now uh, f- event judges and, and chief judges from the past are hearing me now, they will for sure tell you that I always told them that I just don't feel like I know and I understand it enough by myself as a jumper to that it would be okay for me to judge it. Mm-hmm. That's what I felt. Have and you have you competed ever? No. I had that same feeling as a competitor that these fucking judges don't know what they're talking about. When they when they're you know, when when they would bust a formation that you knew was right and they would say in, incomplete or incorrect or whatever. 
Did you present it complete? Well, this okay. this was at Nationals, <laughs> Nationals in 2012. And almost every team had got busted on this. Uh, it wasn't. You didn't. You were not there. We wanted you to be there. It was Nationals in Elo, and you were not there, and we gave you shit for that. In 2012, I was there. Were you there? No, you were not. Ben Rohn was Must there. Must have been 2011. Okay, And I you lied. guys, you were, you were <laughs> supposed to be there, but yeah. It was 2011, about, yeah, that's right. About, you know, yeah. Doing it, yeah. I was much. there on 212, buddy. I wasn't judging FS, but I was there, and you were not there. And well, just, yeah. had Go a ahead. year off. I'm sorry. Just tell me what you think about <laughs> judging FS, yes. 2011. <laughs> what, did we, what did the judges miss? Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But sure, <laughs> surely every competitor must have this, right? What, oh, yeah, a lot what, of them do. Um, well, definitely the... the the younger competitors always will forever have that, and as they go and as they, I mean, as they go forward and as they grow up in the sport and in the competitive part of it, and as they learn more about application of the rules, which is something that is very very important. And if anyone here is listening and wants to compete in skydiving, do know your rules uh, and read them and understand them. And if you have any questions, ask judges about them before the competition. Um, so that's something that, yeah, newer jumpers, newer uh, new competitors will forever have that whole, ah, but you didn't see it, hey, but we did that. Uh, calm down, everybody. We are looking at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but as they, you know, as they grow up in the sport, as they grow up in the competition, I think they understand more. Um, and I can tell you that, so, you know, that was FS and that's my only regional, that, that's the only judge rating that I kept regional. I didn't get national nor FAI award with it. For both CP and artistic, I got um, national and FAI. Um, and I do enjoy judging those two disciplines. Um, and I feel like I can bring more to the table or bring more to the panel as a flyer myself for these two. Um, and so, you know, what you said about, like, the judges didn't see points... When you're talking about FS or you're talking about VFS, it's a very, well, it's supposed to be a very black and white. Mm-hmm. One or zero, is it, is it got yeah, it or is, it didn't get Is the shape get. there or isn't the shape Right. There. So think about how hard it is for both judges and competitors in artistic when it's not that black or white. It's not mm-hmm. that one or zero. Um, and it's we definitely subjective. Right. It's, there is more subjective in yeah, that. Especially artistic stuff's really subjective, right? Some of it is. We're, we're trying... Um, the idea is to bring more and more the compulsory stuff to be less subjective as possible. However, if judge seeing or interpreting something, which is still open for their interpretation in the book, their stuff might fall fall there. Um, and but as panels, we for sure always try to make um, we are trying to bring out a po- a scoring um, result that will that will show the, the panel as a panel, and we are trying not to be crazily far, far away from each other on the panel. Because that means for me, or that means for the, the, the competitors, that the panel is like, something is wrong on the panel. Yeah, like someone's they, not getting it. Someone's someone not is not getting it, right. And and so a lot of times you'll see us talking to talking about stuff after jumps of competitors mm-hmm. or with competitors and explaining to them things. And a lot of those things are showing it what it was supposed to be or applying what they were supposed to apply on the jump, those those types of things. Um, but yeah, we, we get that. I mean, we do get it and we will forever get it. And, you know, part of the reasons why, the main reason actually why I went to get my artistic event judging uh, rating 
um, for which I got laughed at. When I got to, to do the course, the national course in Eloy in 2014, the other judges, like FS judges that have been, FS and, and, uh, and canopy formation judges were, that saw me coming in for that, they laughed at me, literally laughed at my face on the first evening in Eloy in 2014 when I, the night before we started the course, it was me started the course. No one else wanted to get the trading. Um, to this very day, not too many people, unfortunately, want to get the trading because they don't want to deal with the subjectiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the reasons, or the main reason for me to get it at that point, when I, when, I was, when I went for the artistic event, judge rating, was that I felt like the competitors every year were saying, yeah, but the judges don't see what we're trying to bring in, and the judges don't really judge us for what, it, what we really show, and it's, it's never, they're never getting the, the points right. And I felt bad for us as a community and as a sport um, that the most beautiful things in our sport we are not capable of giving a real assessment for or we cannot really give a value to them as the judging system as a judging system for them mm-hmm. and I felt bad for that and and again Jim Hayhurst which I which I worked with at the time on on uh, national stuff so you know I I was doing nationals. Um, 2012, 2013, 2014 for USBA media coverage and then I did CP a few years before that as well and in 2013 in Chicago me and Jimmy were at like dinner I think and, and he said uh, so they got the uh, they have the um, um, post uh, competitive post competition uh, um, they have uh, the party meeting but well, not their party they have the before the parties they have the meeting after the competition every time so the judge so the competitors are saying what they thought about the, the way it went etc cetera, etc cetera. and jimmy said uh, so that's that's happening in like half an hour are you going i said well we can go but i can tell you right now exactly what they will say they will say that the judges didn't see what they wanted to show and say that the judges didn't give them the right score and that they they worked really hard and that they were not assessed the right way and all that stuff so he said well so would you go ahead and, and get your uh, AE judge rating if you could? And I said, you know what? Maybe I will. And then really the next year I did. <laughs> like the, the, the next uh, course that was opened, and it was opened for me, I was the only one who went for it, uh, I did. And I got the rating and I'm, I'm very happy I did. And I still think we should be, I mean, we should always strive to, to, to get better in being able to appreciate and being able to value and being able to assess those artistic jumps because when you're looking some when you're seeing some crazy video going on it's normally not an eight way or a 16 way or a four way it's the beauty of you know flying in the sky and, fl- and flying a camera around something in the sky that that's the beauty of our sport i mean it's one of the beauties right but it's mm-hmm. it's a discipline that shows all the beauty in it and we are not capable of really read it how it is so why? So, yeah. I'm, I'm, I think it's the experience of the judges and, and the artistic events. Some of it uh, is for uh, sure. Uh, oh, it's yeah. hard unless you've gone through at least some of the process of trying to learn some of these things. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to put in perspective how difficult it is for someone to do something like a, a flip twist, for example, is a trick that mm-hmm. most most uh, artistic flyers can do. And most normal skydivers have no chance of, nope. of nailing that trick. And it's right? practice, practice, practice. Yeah, so there's a lot of dedication that goes into that. But when, when you're a judge who doesn't have that skill set, you've never gone after learning that skill set, and everyone that you're that you're judging kind of has pieces of that skill set, I just think that there's an understanding missing to, to give an accurate score. Right. But I think someone like you, 
you know, who's spent plenty of time uh, in the tunnel, plenty of time taking pictures of people at, and shooting video of people in these these different disciplines and different skill levels. I think you have a lot better rounded perspective uh, to to make judgment calls like that. Did it feel difficult to you to, to or have you judged artistic events? Oh yeah, yeah. I've judged and and how events. how hard is that compared to judging <clears throat> FS? For me, FS is way harder, <laughs> just because I, <laughs> it's a language I don't speak. You know, FS is a language that I don't speak. Mm-hmm. AE for me, um, I enjoy the process, so I don't see it as hard. You do have to understand, like when I'm saying it's hard to judge an event or it's hard to judge a competition, it's hard because it's an exhausting process. Um, we are sitting in front of monitors all day long, um, and we are seeing, for the most part, after you've seen, I mean, you know, competitors in AE on their free routines are allowed to bring us two routines, free, two free routines, um, with the amount of money and time that people have to train. Normally, none of them will bring you more than one free routine. Mm-hmm. So, if you've seen the free routine of the team once and they're repeating it four more times after that, so they have free, uh, so they have five times to show you the free routine. You've seen it once. You know what's coming. So part of it is just seeing it and assessing their performance on that next jump. Um, but the rest of it is like, okay, we, we know what's coming. So it, 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 at some point it's like, yeah, that why do we need to see right time. anymore? However, if they made it to be looking way better and the performance is doing it way better, then they will, keep, they will get the reward for it. So you still have to watch it as if it's from you're, you're watching it from scratch, which is probably mentally exhausting. Harder, right? Exactly. That, so you have to right. And after you've seen, you know, if you have I don't know how many teams, and each team is making seven jumps between free fly and free and freestyle, and you're switching back and forth, it is a not an easy task in you know in the exhaustion of it. And part of it is just the exhaustion of being on the panel because you know, okay, they didn't they think that should be interpreted as a 7.2 and I think it should be a 7.5 and someone else think it's an 8.4 and now let's bring everybody together so those things also take time and at the end of the day you just want to get out of this out of that room and don't talk to me about skydiving like any I just give us some time yeah get you out of that room and into the crowd of uh, competitors who yes, that's right. a bad they want, job. They want us to kill us <laughs> no I mean I think it's getting better I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm hearing also from competitors that it's getting better throughout the years um. So, yeah, it's it's fun, but it's not easy. It's a stressful job. I've I've been to a few nationals where some of the judges, you mentioned Randy Connell, um, have pulled me aside and just like, man, I just need to talk to somebody right now because I can't talk to the other judges because we're killing each other. Mm-hmm. I can't mm-hmm. talk to the competitors because <laughs> they're killing us. So you're completely disconnected and you're here. Can I talk to you? I'm like, yeah, dude, let me get this straight. You just want to vent to me? He's like, yeah. I'm like, get yeah, at it, bro. That's, that's what a lot of the times that's what it is. So but two yeah. things that stand out to me really from this conversation. One of them is, is you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. And I love how you sat there and said, I don't want to go to this debrief because the competitors are just going to shit all over the judges and it ain't worth my time. And Jim said, hey, man, well, why don't you become part of the solution? I became an examiner the same way. Jay Stokes would talk to me about courses and and I would say respectfully, I think a lot of examiners do a good job, but a lot of them are a joke Mm -hmm. and um, not disrespectfully, respectfully says, why don't you become an examiner? Right. Um, man, if you really have that much of a problem with a process, why don't you help solve it, which respect to you for doing so. Right. 
The other thing I really want people to understand is I have never talked to a competitor who has been through a judge's course who regretted it. And almost every competitor I've ever spoke to said, go get your judge's rating because you will be a better competitor. Correct. Period. In all disciplines, yes. Yeah. I've seen that for sure. And I think that's especially true for AE, any of the artistic events. But definitely it's also true for FS because if they can understand presentation better, if you can understand what the judges are looking for to get those grips. CP as well. Yes. And you see a big difference between the people who have their judge rating and or just been in it for years and grew up with the discipline uh, compared to new, new competitors. One of my favorite things, and, and Nick, we talk about MMA a bunch just in, in our own time. I will wrestle you right now. <laughs> Dude, I will, if we take our clothes off, is... In oh, no, I've got that bag on me. I don't know if we want to do it, but uh, <laughs> whatever. In MMA, they say don't leave it to the judges in boxing, and a lot of times it's because the judges have very limited experience as MMA practitioners. They, they don't have any fight experience. They don't have any yep. martial arts at all. And in skydiving, we're starting in, in MMA. We're seeing, but in skydiving, we're starting to see old competitors, and, and I don't mean old as age, but they've done it for a while, mm-hmm. who are not competing anymore, starting to get into judging. And I would encourage any of y'all who have competed, who have trained, to to give back. You've all bitched about the judges. There's no doubt about it. At some point or the other, some of some of you, most of you, have complained about the judge to some of or the other. It's okay. It's part of it. Do what Ori did. Become part of that solution and help make the next generation better. Because you're just going to make better badasses by doing what you do. Right. So, man, a lot of respect to you for taking on the burden. Because really, a judge. I mean, at least it's a super high paying job, right? Sure. Oh my god. Oh my god. I made <laughs> millions and all the yachts and the. The, the the airplanes that I have is because of judging. Dude, for sure, that's what it is. Baller, man. <laughs> I mean, judges pay very poorly at best. <laughs> yeah. I mean, anyone that is judging, I can tell you right now, anyone that is judging is not judging for the money in it because yeah. there is no money in it. But you're doing it and it's a lot of fun and it is, I mean, yeah, when you're doing it because you wanted to become a judge, there's definitely a lot of fun and it's a fun process and it's a, yeah, it's it's um, it's not for the money. You're not you're not. Yeah, no. it's said and done. There's some reward to it as long as you can. Yes, correct. Be fair and honest to everybody. Yep, it's so. uh, it's for sure a fun thing. So yeah. one one of the things you've done in your life is you 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 faded away from skydiving. Mm-hmm. Number one, you're getting back to it when you can. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, but as you faded away. Really, your last connection was judging, but you've really gone more into the videography and photography world in general. How did that segue happen for you? I went back to the world of, sc- of video production and photography. That's, that was something that I did before I started jumping. I didn't know that. Yes. So what were you doing before skydiving and video production? Um, so I started my video production. Well, I started. I, I was taking stills, film stills since the age of 16, I think, or 15 or 16. I had a film camera and a few lenses from my dad. It, it used to be his. Um, good old Minolta, when they were still only Minolta. Um, so I was taking stills for years, and then, um, but just as a hobby, you know, just for fun. Mm-hmm. A lot of flowers, rocks, um, stuff that is not people, that's normally how people start with with, with photography. Um, I've been there, done that. Um, however, my big, a lot of my knowledge and most of my basic stuff, um, I learned through the three years of high school in which I was... Um, I was part of a local TV channel um, youth magazine 
and we had a new show coming. Uh, we had a new show every two weeks. Uh, the show was a thirty-minute show um, on the local channel of of Haifa Israel, and um, it ran six times during those two weeks. Um, and we produced. It was just people in the age of between sixteen to eighteen that produced the show, um, and we did. It was anywhere between you know. Um, um, ENG stuff, also news type of things, mm-hmm. um, you know, interviewing people on the street type of thing, for anywhere from that to um, uh, studio work or live studio shows, uh, both for the local TV channel and for national local channel and for and for the national local channels in in Israel. So live shows and recorded shows, and I used to work at the beginning of it all. I used to work with what's called uh, low band and high band tapes it's something in the it's like it's that thick of a tape um about that big in size um and you know we used huge vtr so it's like taking half a little fridge on you walking around Mm -hmm. plugged in with xlrs um you know walking around the streets with booms with uh sun guns so lighting and everything super heavy shoulder handheld cameras um and I started as as far as editing goes. I started with what's called cut to cut, so it's all yeah. it was all analog. Two huge VTRs on the table, one station in front of you that can control the player and the recorder, and you are literally jogging back and forth yeah. manually, um, setting a a in entry and an out entry both on the player and the and the recorder, previewing this previewing the shots and then recording the shot and everything was very slow and very manual and very analogic but um to this very day i believe that working with these things at the time gave me a really good basis to what i built on afterwards in life as far as video production goes and, and 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 from there i also took it to back to steels so steels i was you know i was i was shooting steels but it wasn't something professional but doing those three years as a teenager taught me tons. Like that was all my life on those three those three years. Up to this very day, my twelfth grade, um, like I don't remember being in school during the like, my last year in high school because I was there all the time. I was I was in the local magazine stuff, and it was all volunteering, right? Uh, but it was it was something that I loved doing, and it was it was my life at the time. Um, so. A lot of what I know and a lot of what I do and a lot of what I I experienced in life as far as video production is from these those early days of me working with analog stuff, heavy equipment. Like I think it, it gave me a lot of good stuff. So that was before the military and then the military I didn't do anything that had to do with cameras. And then um after the military I was working a little bit for um Teva Hadvarim. It's a it's a it's like the Israeli National Geographic, pretty much, um, but just in and for Israel. Um, so I worked for them. So they have a mag- they have a written magazine, and they also have a TV magazine. And I worked for their TV magazine for some time, uh, just shooting. And at that time, it, I wasn't editing for them; I was just shooting stuff for them. Um, and uh, yeah, so you know, in between, even through high school, so the, the last year of high school, I was doing stuff already on the digital stations in that place where I was volunteering. So that was like, I was one of the ones who were allowed to touch the digital 
like the the editing computers, and that was like, oh wow, I'm I'm getting to work with you. Were the cool kid? I was the cool exactly. I was totally the cool kid. I was totally the cool kid. Um, but yeah, those things um, you know, carried me later on. And then uh, after the military, or towards the, so I was in the military for four and a half years. And towards the end of my mandatory military service, towards the end of the third one, I started jumping. And at the time, you know, I saw people bringing down like materials. Others in tandems, I saw people bring down materials of free fly, and to me at the time it was like, oh my god, I, I wish I could do something like that. And and I think the first ever um, skydiving thing that I edited was someone else's material of him and his friends doing free fly, and I drove to him about an hour and a half from home in Haifa down to where he was in the, more in the middle, of, in the center of Israel, and I drove to his place and I just sat on his computer to edit his materials. Just because I enjoyed, you know, seeing those materials and working with these materials, and and then, you know, I st- I started being an editor at the Drop Zone at, at home, and then became a camera flyer at home. Moved to the states, was here um, for so I was a camera flyer at home for about three years, and then once I moved here, it was another six and a half years. So when I when I moved to doing all the general stuff, the general freelancing stuff, it was me pretty much stepping stepping back. Um, into that. However, during the years of skydiving photography or skydiving camera flying, I didn't really do anything. I didn't produce anything other than skydiving, which is partially why when I stopped in 2013, it was a good time because I needed, I was looking for something more. I was looking for something else. I was looking for that variety of things. Um, and I got it, and I was very happy with that um, outside of skydiving. But uh, yeah, so I, I stepped back into production of stuff that throughout the years I, uh, you know, I, I kind of neglected behind and got back into. But what it, this time way better because I was doing skydiving camera camera work for so, so long. What, what do you look forward to when you get to come back to skydiving? Do you think you're going to... Jumping camera. Um, not for not for work. Um, I don't think... By the way, right now I'm, I'm back to working in a drop zone. I'm working back in Paradive, my... Home DZ at home is Paradive. My home DZ at home here is Spaceland. Um, I'm back to working um, with Paradive. Started working with them after the fourth, uh, fourth out of six uh, chemo session. And I'm just doing stuff on the ground and I'm helping them in their marketing department. So that does bring me kind of somewhat back into working with skydiving materials. Um, and every once in a while, whenever I'm at the drop zone, it's, you know, it's again... I, there's there's a lot of new people for me there. Mm-hmm. A lot of them know of me or me. Um, I don't know. That's Ari fucking that, Cooper. Right, right. There. That's oh right. God. That's right. The, the famous. <laughs> uh, I don't know too many of them that well yet, but I am kind of back into it. Um, not enough, so There's nothing like, you know, working on the ground with materials of someone else is very, very different than getting your own shot and working with your own material from scratch and... So that's one of the things that I'm definitely looking forward to do at some point. I'm not sure w- how long after the n- second surgery I'll be able and allowed to do it, uh, but I definitely hope that I that I will be allowed to. Um, so I don't know if working in it, but shooting in the sky is something that I just miss. And uh, what about events? So like Daniel Angulo has really left full-time skydiving and he does full-time photography, yep. does a, a freaking gorgeous job. Yep. But he keeps his connection by coming out and doing events like the Keep It Tropical Angle Camp we just had. Right. 
Keep It Tropical Space Angle Fly for Life Camp. Is that what the name of it was? Yeah, I don't think it actually had Fly for Life attached to it, but it was uh, Keep It Tropical Space Camp, yeah. He, tropical, uh, tropical Space Camp, for short. Carlos is, keep, is uh, following our trend of too long of names now. Why not uh, get involved in things like that? Because I really think you have a I huge thing would. to offer. I probably would. Service. It, the same goes for national production stuff that... Um, after I stopped doing it, um, uh, D Squared took over, and they are doing an awesome job. Yeah. Um, also, I, uh, Elliot Bird is doing a lot of stuff now. Yep. Yeah. Um, I remember when he was in a four way jumping in a. You know, he was when talk he about started Elliot. Jumping. Yeah. 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 When he's st- I think um, so for a few nationals, I took pictures of him as a camera guy or information guy for four way and eight way stuff. So that's how I know him. Dang, dude. Um, so he was in slot. <coughs> I am not sure he was in slot. He was definitely part of the teams. Okay, he was the video guy and you were doing outside. He, no, no, I wasn't doing... Uh, well, I don't think I ever shot him in the air, but I remember him going through the... Because when you are doing national coverage, you're doing the, the team photos for yeah, everybody. Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of photos, but I do remember him as being part of that. Um, so, um, so for sure, yeah, big events or fun events or... That's that's definitely part of being a, a skydiving camera flyer to me. Otherwise, I mean, tandem is tandem's video is great, but the fun is, and I'm sure that Nick and you could probably say the same. Tandem video is great, but you want sometimes sometimes to do more and other and yeah, other stuff. So those events are definitely where it's at. If if anyone is if anyone is looking for that, those events. If you if you want to get some more fun and more exciting and more different than nationals or the the boogies and the events and the competitions are definitely that. I'm curious, Nick. He actually says you might feel the same way. You shoot tandem videos as your primary role in the sky. How much do you still love shooting tandem videos versus the opportunity? Dude, I fucking love shooting a tandem video when the, when the when the student has fun, when they have a good time. I really, really like it. Oh, yeah. I, I don't yeah. like it when someone... It's like, hey, you paid for video, so let's have fun when we make this video. I don't like when someone gets video and then they don't want to be any part of it at all. It's like, hey, man, you could have just not <laughs> paid video, me yeah. to do this. But, um, you know, when people are, are just difficult in, in general, just trying to either not have fun or just like young kids that are super sarcastic that think they're really funny that are just really fucking 18-year-old stupid shithead kids. <laughs> I don't like jumping with them. My favorite people, honestly, to jump with are moms. Like, a mom who's raised kids and who's seen every curveball that life can, can possibly <laughs> throw. Real. Those ladies are not fucking afraid, and they are ready to have a good time. I'll sound completely racist with this conversation, but black people are my favorite people to jump with. Because those <laughs> motherfuckers do not hide emotion, and they do not care. They let you know what they're thinking, what's going on, and oh my God, it's a fucking good time. You're laughing because it's true. Yes. <laughs> it's going to burn, Dennis. It's going to burn like a bad per- Remember that guy? There, Sounds very familiar. There was a dude who got in the plane who was freaked the F out in the fun way. And he kept telling his tandem instructor, Dennis, it's going to burn. It's going to burn like a bad perm. It's going to burn, Dennis. <laughs> and I mean, just the whole ride up, you couldn't shoot your tandem video because your side hurt from laughing and you couldn't talk straight to the person next to you. So, I nice. mean, th- anybody who's interactive and quite frankly, everybody but white people, man, we get a lot of Latin skydivers here in Houston and they typically are very emotional. And very connected when when they're fun. So, yeah. uh, for me, it's always anybody who was fun 
was it was a fun job. Yep, I, I like those people a lot. But to go along with Ori's point, it is a lot of fun when an event comes around when you get to use that part of your skill set because you know I don't think being decent at free flying comes naturally to to many people. And it's like, hey, I've worked really hard to be able to do this, and it's cool to be able to use that skill set to show the world how cool how my friends are. You know, do. yeah. Speaking of cool friends, a uh, good tall friend of ours who's supposed to be in Atlanta might be jumping next Tuesday, FYI. Mm, I have no idea who you're talking about, but thank you for letting me know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're welcome. And remember those <laughs> walkers from Star Wars? Yeah. Yeah. AT-AT? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going with John. Um, anyways, did you put this together yet? John I, Walker. Oh. Yeah, they're, oh. They're, <laughs> I, I just I'm was supposed to tell you at some point John's going to be around. So. Supposed to just make dad noises and then he gets mm. uh. <sighs> Dude, he's not supposed to be in town. He's just coming back for a visit. He's 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 hanging out. Um, man, Ori, so much is going on. It's, uh, I'm glad to have you back in town. My last question, really, ultimately, are you coming back to the U.S. when this is all done? Hopefully, yes. I'm not sure yet under what um, like under what configuration that's that's going to happen. Um, I'll still need to figure it out once I can, um, and that's going to be only after I'm done with all the medical shit going on. And, um, but yeah, the plan is to, yes, the the plan is to come back and be here. Um, will it be immediately after I'm done with the medical? Maybe not. Um, but yeah, the plan is to do it and, um, to come back. And I mean, that has been my life for the last 10 years, which had been very, very important 10 years out of my life. So, um, yeah, I like it here. I mean, yeah, why not? If I can, why not? Dude, we hope you come back. As we get ready to wrap, I do want to bring one thing up. Uh, Mr. P, you've talked about doing a little video editing tutorial kind of session. It's kind of been a... I'm saying that I'm willing. I'm not saying that I'm going to organize the whole thing or that I have time to to do it. But I'm saying, hey, if you want to learn how to edit some videos, I will give you a crash course. You're just going to have to figure out a way to hold me to it. So number one... You need to download Adobe Premiere. Adobe Premiere is really easy to get illegally. Just look it up. I am 100% positive Adobe (laughs) lets you do this on purpose because they want you to. Actually, I think uh, what's his nuts to talk to us about this? AJ Aguirre told us this, that Adobe is happy to have you illegally download their program so you can buy a client of theirs in the future. Just fucking do it. Look it up on YouTube. You'll find the shit. So if you're interested in it, hit me up. Let me know. Um, I have a couple people who've talked to me about it recently. If we get enough interest, how many people is enough interest for you? Five. Five. No, let's say six. I, six. I want, I'm thinking of the room. I want three people on each side at least. We will see if we can convince Mr. P to do something. We'll set it up. Maybe we can use the uh, STP room upstairs. That would be a pretty easy room to set sure, up for it. Sure, yeah. Fuck yeah. So, uh, yeah, man. We'll talk about it. We'll get it. Mr. Ori Cooper, anything else you want to share with your friends, family, people out there going through struggles and problems today? No, just that, you know, tomorrow the sun will probably be shining again. So, whatever you have today. Unless you live phase. in Seattle. Unless you're or Houston sometimes, too. And then, uh, I mean, it can be 12, 14 days sometimes. It will shine again, I promise you. <coughs> it will. And, uh, yeah, so. Well, right on, Enjoy. guys and gals. Next week, we'll be back with our good friend, Mr. Blake Barton. He's going to talk a little bit about his struggles, his life, what he's been doing. Tunnel instructor, skydiver. He's done a little bit of it all. Till then, blue skies. We're going home. Take me home or lose me forever. Is that a Top Gun reference? I was going to tell a really racist Jewish joke, but I think we're too late. What's the difference between a Jew and a Boy Scout? What? Boy Scouts come back from camp. (laughs) (laughs) 